0: Good afternoon and welcome to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, Land Use and Economic Development Committee. I'm Scott Wiener, the chairman of the committee. Uh, our committee vice chair, Supervisor Jane Kim, was unable to join us today. And so uh, Supervisor Eric Marr is uh, sitting today uh, in place of Supervisor Kim. Uh, to my right and then to my left is Supervisor Malia Cohen, also a member of the committee. Uh, we are also uh, joined uh, today by the President of the Board of Supervisors, uh, David Chu. Um SFGTV uh, is broadcasting today's uh, hearing and I want to thank Jesse Larson and Dirk Fernandez for doing that. Uh, our clerk is Andrea Osbury, and Madam Clerk, are there any announcements?
1: Yes, please silence all electronic devices, completed speaker cards, and copies of any documents to be included as part of the file should be submitted to the clerk. Items act- acted upon today will appear on November 4th, 2014, Board supervised agenda unless otherwise stated.
0: Okay. Madam Clerk, will you please call item number one.
1: Item number one is an ordinance, a summary, street vacation of an area between Twin Peaks Boulevard and St. Germain Avenue.
0: Uh, thank you. And I'm the author of item number one. Colleagues, uh, this proposal would vacate uh, a steep, weed-filled embankment in the Twin Peaks neighborhood and would allow for the construction of a retaining wall, construction of a pedestrian stairway, and installation of permanent landscaping by the adjacent property owner. Uh, currently, uh, during, uh, uh, during any rains, and we will eventually have rain again, uh, dirt slides down the hill partially blocking the walkway. This proposal will stabilize the hillside and provide a permanent public pathway up a hill that is currently inaccessible. Uh, The improvements have strong support in the neighborhood uh, and the direct neighbors have submitted support letters which are included in today's agenda materials. The proposal also has been reviewed by the Planning Department and the Department of Public Works and both agencies are in support of the proposal. Uh, the, the project sponsor, in other words, the, um, one of the, or the adjacent owner who will be uh, performing this work is Judge Vaughn Walker, who is here today, uh, as is his counsel. Uh, so, colleagues, I w- would ask for your support. Um, and I don't think we have departmental presentations, so we will proceed to public comment on item number one. Uh, do we have any public comment cards? So we have uh, two public comment cards, uh, Judge Vaughn-Walker and Donna Crowder.
2: Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chairman. I'll be happy to answer any questions that you have. You well stated the purposes of the program to stabilize the hillside, to provide public access for what is now presently a vacated uh, or an unused street right-of-way. Uh, which is presently inaccessible, uh, and to improve the landscaping and amenities of the neighborhood.
0: Uh, Great. Do you have
2: any questions?
0: Uh, No, and I don't, uh, colleagues, and uh, we appreciate uh, your willingness to do this work.
2: Thank you. Thank you, you, Judge.
0: Ms. Crowder. Good
3: morning, Supervisors. My name is Donna Crowder. I'm um, former director and former president of TPIA, Twin Peaks Improvement Association, and one of the group of neighbors that helps to maintain the strip there between um, Clarendon and Raccoon along Twin Peaks Boulevards. It is a scenic drive. Um, Our neighbor, Edith Freed, who's now 97, started the little garden area along there, and we help maintain it along with the the city. Um, Judge Walker has the corner of Raccoon and Twin Peaks Boulevard which is a very steep slope. I live uh, on Glenbrook and Mountain Spring just slightly above the property. Uh, We have a lot of people who walk up and down the hill. It is uh, dangerous during the rainy seasons as the the ground sloughs off there and we would be um, very very supportive, beyond supportive, to have someone actually maintain this strip it, there is a precedent for it. This happened uh, many years ago down below on the corner of Crown Terrace and Twin Peaks Boulevard, uh, which is where my mother lives.
0: Great. Thank you, Ms. Carter. Any
3: questions, I'd be happy to answer. Neighborhood, very supportive. Thank, Thank you. Thank you
0: very much. And we did uh, receive a letter, which is in the packet, from the current president of the Twin Peaks Improvement Association uh, expressing her support as well. Um, is there any additional public comment on item number one? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Um, Colleagues, could I have a motion to forward item one to the full board with positive recommendation? So second. Okay, on motion and second, we'll take that without objection. Thank you. Uh, Madam Clerk, will you please call item number two.
1: Item number two is a hearing requesting public works provide the status on tree relinquished program.
0: Uh, Thank you, and colleagues, uh, I am the the sponsor of this item along with uh, President Chu and Supervisor Cohen uh, asking the Department of Public Works to provide a status update uh, for uh, its uh, so-called tree relinquishment. Program, which is a fancy way of saying uh, forcing adjacent property owners to take care of trees that they may or may not have planted and may or may not want and may or may, or may, or may not have the economic or physical ability to take care of. Um, uh, going back a number of decades, San Francisco systematically uh, began uh, disinvesting in its urban forest. Uh, we know that trees are a key part of quality of life in any. Uh, neighborhood, have many benefits, uh, economic, environmental, and simply in terms of uh, the beauty of a neighborhood, it makes a huge difference. Unfortunately, San Francisco, uh, through our budget uh, priorities, or lack thereof, um, uh, the city has uh, really reduced what it spends in taking care of our urban forests, both our park trees, but in particular, our street trees. Um, And... Uh, As a result, uh, San Francisco has one of the lowest uh, canopy coverages of any major city uh, in the U.S. A city as green as San Francisco uh, is. We simply don't have enough trees. And in fact, due to uh, the city's neglect of our urban forest, uh, that canopy is shrinking. Uh, We are losing street trees. Uh, The overall number of street trees in the city is uh, gradually uh, shrinking. Uh, and so uh, this needs to be a, a priority. <clears throat> uh, currently, uh, the the city maintains approximately one-third uh, of the street trees in San Francisco. Uh, the remainder have been the responsibility of adjacent property owners. Uh, we know that when uh, the city does not care for the trees and instead requires property owners to take care of them, Uh, maintenance becomes uh, inconsistent. Some owners do a phenomenal job and are very diligent in taking care of their trees, Uh, but many owners either don't know they're required to take care of the trees, uh, uh, know but just refuse to actually uh, do it, um, or they hire the cheapest possible uh, service uh, which ends up mutilating uh, the trees. Uh, About three years ago, the Department of Public Works, uh, after a number of budget cuts uh, relating to tree maintenance, uh, began the current relinquishment program uh, with the goal of turning over pretty much all of the remaining uh, street trees to adjacent property owners. And again, these street trees are being forced on these property owners in terms of taking care of the trees and taking care of any sidewalk damage caused by the trees whether or not the, the property owner actually planted the tree or owns the tree or wants the tree. Um, it doesn't matter if the tree uh, is a small tree or a massive uh, uh, 30-foot tall tree. It doesn't matter. It's the property owner's uh, responsibility. It doesn't matter if the homeowner is a senior citizen living on Social Security who has neither the economic nor the physical ability to take care of the tree. Uh, They are responsible uh, for taking care of that tree and for fixing any sidewalk damage. Um, so, uh, when, uh, when the department first began uh, the relinquishment uh, program, it began slowly uh, because in the first year of relinquishment uh, the department didn't even have enough money to actually get the trees ready to be turned over. Uh, the mayor then put money in the budget to allow the department to move forward with its relinquishment program and the program has been uh, moving forward. Um, I've been a strong critic of this program uh, since it started, as has uh, President Chu, as has Supervisor Cohen, and other colleagues on the Board of Supervisors. Uh, It is an unfair system uh, that places an unfair uh, burden on property owners uh, to take care of these trees. Um, It also uh, guarantees a continued decline uh, of our uh, urban forest, despite the amazing work of. Uh, organizations like Friends of the Urban Forest and others who really want to try to do everything that we can to improve our urban forest. Um, so uh, we have been uh, working with Friends of the Urban Forest for several years now uh, to try to figure out how can we uh, end the relinquishment program. Uh, and actually have the city uh, resume responsibility for all street trees in San Francisco uh, with adequate funding to actually take care of those trees uh, because right now that funding doesn't uh, exist. And how do we actually um, create a stream of dedicated funding uh, for maintenance of our urban forest? Um, Because the last thing we want to do is put the responsibility back on the department but then not provide them with the funding to actually do their job. Uh, and I want to just stress that uh, even though I'm a, a critic of uh, the program, um, I, I uh, really respect the work uh, that the, uh, our, our employees of the, uh, of the Department of Public Works do to take care uh, of our uh, urban forests in San Francisco. They, the department is grossly understaffed when it comes to forestry. Uh, and simply does not have the resources it needs to do what we would all like it uh, to do. So this, criti- this hearing is not about criticizing the department, it's about criticizing the long-term and accelerating public policy in San Francisco of disinvesting uh, in our urban forest. Uh, and so that uh, is why we are here today. Uh, and to really hear an update from the department on where we are in the tree relinquishment program, how many trees have been turned over, what the timetable is looking up is looking like, and what the current resource levels are um, at the department. Uh, I now want to uh, recognize President Chu, who is co-sponsor of this hearing request.
4: Thank you, Mr. Chair, thank you colleagues and members of the public uh, who have been focused on this issue. It is often said that when a tree falls in the forest, no one hears it but when a tree falls in the city, it's a serious problem. And I want to thank Supervisor Weiner. Uh, both of us, I think, have shared similar perspectives on the fact that at this time, I think many of us believe that the city's relinquishment policy is not working and needs to be significantly revisited. It's also said a picture is worth a thousand words and I would like our clerk, I've given her four photographs of a couple of pictures just in my district in the Northeast neighborhoods alone and if I could ask her Uh, SFGov TV staff to focus on them. This is a photograph of what happened uh, just a few weeks ago, late September, uh, near Cafe Trieste on Vallejo at North Beach. Uh, Obviously significant, significant damage. If we go to the next photo. This is from early August in front of St. Francis of Assisi Church at the corner of Broadway and Columbus. We could go to our next slide. Uh, I'll just mention in July there was another major tree that fell at Hyde and Union. Uh, this actually if you could well I guess this was going to be the final photograph uh, but this was a uh, car that was crushed in February at Lombard and Mason in front of the Telegraph Hill Neighborhood Center which serves hundreds of seniors kids and families and you'll note Uh, There is a child uh, seat that was right underneath where that tree fell down, and if we could go to the final photo. It's a little hard to see that, but that is the tree that collapsed in front of uh, the Telegraph Hill Neighborhood Center. All this being said, um, this is a very serious problem. We have been very fortunate as a city that as of yet no one has been injured by these recent collapses, but I believe that without intervention soon, uh, the next tree collapse could result in significant injury or worse to our neighborhood residents. Uh, I want to take a moment and acknowledge I know the work that the Department of Public Health has tried to focus on this issue. Uh, This, I know, has been a challenging issue for everyone but from my perspective I do think that when a tree collapses our city needs to take the responsibility for cleanup costs damage to cars and structures and we need to be responsible for the safety of our residents Uh, A number of months ago, my constituents know that I championed a very specific add-back in this year's budget to help replace and prune some of the high-risk trees in District 3. Uh, This was part of District 3's participatory budgeting process that we ran. We had specifically put in a little less than $90,000 of funding to prune a number of trees uh, in our neighborhoods. But let me just point out a few things. One, we know that this funding is not adequate even for the trees we have in District 3. Secondly, this was funding that was allocated in the summertime. Uh, but we still don't have a clear action plan for how to move forward with replacement and pruning. And part of what I would like to ask DPW staff is if they could help to respond to my constituents and our uh, questions around exactly what's going to happen in the near future, particularly in light of the very dangerous tree collapses that we have seen. And uh, really, the whole point of this hearing is with Supervisor Weiner to focus public and government attention on this, to do what we need to do to figure out both how do we deal with these short-term issues that we have, and then as a city, how do we ensure long-term funding? I, for one, certainly think that we need to also consider a dedicated source of funding in this area, uh, and, and folks really need to understand that while it may not collapse on you today or tomorrow, it could collapse on you with next week's storm or next year's earthquake. And so with that, uh, again, Supervisor Wien, I want to thank you for your leadership on this and I also want to take a moment and thank uh, Friends of the Urban Forest who have worked closely with my office and many members of the public here to make sure that we have a tree canopy that is vibrant, safe, healthy, uh, and really works for our urban cities.
0: Thank you. And uh, just a couple of uh, additional points before we uh, ask uh, Ms. Short from DPW to come up. You know, I, I think when you when you talk to San Franciscans about uh, the importance of uh, trees, it's really an easy sell in the city. And I, I, I like to go to some of the Friends of the Urban Forest tree plantings in the district. And every time I go, it is just amazing to me how many people uh, show up. It's always a full house. People are really passionate about planting trees, about having uh, green neighborhoods. And it's just, and that's what makes it particularly frustrating uh, when our um, city budget and when our policies coming out of City Hall are not necessarily consistent uh, with that view that is clearly so widely held uh, in San Francisco. Uh, We also know that, um, and I think this is in part due to uh, um, many property owners' fear of having, people are fearful of even having a street tree in front of their house because they think that even if it's not their responsibility at the beginning, it's going to be their responsibility, and so they are uh, concerned about that. And so we see uh, a, a geographic... Uh, inequity in terms of where we have tree canopy coverage uh, in San Francisco and there are certain parts of the city, my district, District 8 happens to be one of them, Supervisor Choose as well, that actually have uh, quite a few trees. There are some parts of the city that have very, very few trees and there are probably various reasons for that, Uh, but I think one of them has to do with uh, concern about actually having, being forced to take care uh, of the tree. And then I also just want to note that uh, the diversity of situations where people are required to care of the trees, some of the trees that President Chu showed were quite large. And so those large trees um, can be a major, major problem for homeowners because they physically can't do it themselves and it becomes very expensive uh, to maintain a tree that's quite uh, tall. Um, And sometimes it can be multiple trees. We had a situation recently in my district uh, where there was a strip of public land next to someone's house with 40 or 50 trees on it. And initially, uh, we thought that that one homeowner was gonna be responsible for all those trees. Fortunately, the department uh, ended up determining that it would care for those trees. But you can, it can lead to some pretty extreme uh, situations. Uh, so with that, I wanna call up the Department of Public Works, uh, Carlos Short, who does a phenomenal job uh, with very limited resources. Ms. Short.
5: Thank you, Supervisor. Um, Good afternoon, Carlos Short, Department of Public Works. To give a brief overview on the um, Tree Maintenance Transfer Program, also known as the Tree Relinquishment Program. So, um, I'd like to start just by saying that the Department believes that a healthy urban forest enhances our quality of life and reduces water, air, and noise pollution. And Supervisor, when you did a nice job of um, outlining many of the benefits that urban trees provide, I could probably talk all day about these benefits um, from the ecosystem services to creating better pedestrian walking environments, contributing to human health and raising property values. Um, But it's clear that we need to do a better job of caring for our green infrastructure. Under Article 16 of the Public Works Code, Public Works has jurisdiction over all trees in the public right of way and is charged with managing the urban forest to realize the benefit of trees for San Franciscans. Our management includes planning, planting, maintenance and removal of trees in the public right of way. Um, We care for public street trees and we enforce the Public Works Code Article 16 for privately maintained trees. As you stated at the introduction, um, resources for tree maintenance has declined over the past few decades and because of funding cuts, Public Works is not able to care for all the trees for which we currently have maintenance responsibility. We believe the transfer of maintenance responsibility to property owners is not ideal. Um, However, we feel it is necessary to meet our responsibilities under the Urban Forestry Ordinance. And I would just like to emphasize that the department has undertaken this program quite reluctantly but out of an act of necessity, as we are unable to provide the care for these trees. Industry standards recommend that trees are pruned every three to five years. With our current resources, we're on a pruning schedule of every 10 to 12 years. Lack of maintenance causes many of the concerns that you've all raised today, and I think we're all well aware of that. Just a quick uh, snapshot of the state of the urban forest currently. As you noted, property owners have had the maintenance responsibility for about two-thirds of of all the street trees, and historically the department has maintained about one-third. Under the proposed program, um, we would continue to maintain a number of trees located primarily in public medians and adjacent to other public facilities, but the majority of street trees adjacent to private properties would be transferred to the adjacent property owner for maintenance. Um, This just gives an example of the decline in resources over the years and the impact that has on a pruning cycle. Um, So as you can see in our sort of heyday, 2007-2008, we had 19 full-time arborists paid for by the city. Um, over time that has declined greatly and currently we only have 11 arborists. Um, I do wanna note that acknowledging this shortfall, we have gotten some funding recently to launch an arborist ap- apprenticeship program. We currently have seven arborist apprentices and we do hope that in the future uh, they should help improve the pruning cycle but currently as they are just trainees, um, they are providing ground support to our crews. M- I also, Mr. Yes. Can I
0: just ask you, um, so, as of two thousand seven, two thousand eight, uh, as the recession was getting started, you were at nineteen, and it looks like with the apprentices you'll be up to just about that number. But actually, was uh, when you had nineteen, even how 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 frequently uh, were you doing maintenance? That's a great reasons? question.
5: We were on about a six or seven year maintenance cycle, okay. even when we had nineteen arborists. Okay. So, that,
0: just to be clear, even nineteen was was not adequate it was inadequate and and then it became even more inadequate
5: that's right Uh, that's exactly right and i would just also note that um as we have had the reduction in staffing we end up responding to more emergencies because as we're unable to do proactive pruning we can't you know identify a cracked limb and remove it during routine pruning and unfortunately that limb then may break and it becomes a vicious cycle. The more emergencies we have to respond to, the less proactive pruning we can do, and then that creates more emergencies. So in many ways, the the reduction in staffing has increased even greater than the 12-year cycle because we're doing more and more emergency response and less and less proactive pruning. So, again, just to note, um, the the purpose behind transferring maintenance responsibility was to align public works assets with the available resources. Um, It was also to allocate responsibility more equitably citywide. So, as you noted, um, two-thirds of the street trees have already been the maintenance responsibility of the adjacent property owner, and so one-third of those street trees were being cared for um, by the city. This actually arguably makes um, the responsibility more equitable citywide. The goal of this program was also to provide caretakers for trees because, as we've said, with the resources we had available, we were simply failing in our responsibility to care for these trees. And the the idea behind that in providing those caretakers was to protect public safety.
0: And do you, in terms of your experience, because I know everything ends up getting funneled uh, to you at some point or another, um, in terms of how property owners approach their maintenance responsibility, and I, I know that there, there are owners who do a, a great job, but others who don't. Um, just your general experience, do, do people, for the 65,000 that are already the responsibility and, and have been for quite some time, do you find that people tend to know? Do are there people, a lot of people who blow it off?
5: Yeah, um, thank you for asking. There are many property owners, as you state, who take great care of their trees and I think they should be applauded. Um, every single day at work, we get a question from someone who has no idea that the tree in front of their property is their maintenance responsibility. And this is not a case where we've recently transferred that responsibility. This is a property owner who may have lived in the property for 10 or 15 years and they never knew that the tree was their maintenance responsibility. And so those trees are getting absolutely no care, which eventually can lead to limb failure or other problems. The other issue that we see, and I have a slide um, in just a second that demonstrates this, is property owners who, as you state, um, don't want to care for the tree, they do not want to invest in it, um, or they don't have the resources to do so, and so they hire Someone who does a terrible job. Um, And that is actually can be a a real detriment to our urban forest. And one of our big concerns about this program, um, which I'll get to in one second, is the actual loss and destruction of trees as a result of either um, total neglect or um, what is sometimes worse, which is excessive damage to the trees through excessive pruning.
0: And and what happens with, uh, we know, uh, even though there's sometimes a stereotype that all property owners are, are wealthy, we know that there are a lot of homeowners in San Francisco who are not wealthy, who might be on a fixed income, may have either inherited the property or, or have bought it you know, 30, 40 years ago. Um, what ha- happens when someone uh, doesn't have the resources to take care of the tree? I mean, there's no exemption for that, right?
5: At this point in time, there's no exemption
0: for that. Right. Okay, oh, thanks.
5: Okay, I'll just quickly go over the the process that's outlined in the Public Works Code for transferring maintenance responsibility. So Article 16 of the Public Works Code does authorize the director to transfer maintenance responsibility to adjacent property owners, but it outlines the steps that are necessary in order to do so. And so prior to transferring a tree, the tree needs to be inspected to ensure that it's healthy and that there's no immediate maintenance required. We then have to post a notice on the tree and notify the property owners by mail. We provide information packets regarding tree care. Um, We address questions and concerns, and we have a public hearing if it is requested by someone who has received this tree transfer. Um, Now to get to your question, some of the challenges of the tree maintenance transfer program. Um, We do have many property owners who are unable or unwilling to care for their trees. Um, These are people who who are facing costs that they've never borne in the past and didn't plan for and as you noted some of these trees can be very large Um, there is research that shows actually that trees maintained by the city are tend to be larger and healthier than other trees and so if we're transferring those trees we in many cases are transferring very large and robust trees to property owners Um, one of the biggest concerns that i personally have about this program is um, the concerns about the quality of care and the destruction of trees Um, and then we also have uh we lose the efficiencies of scale by having one property owner maintain one tree on the same block and then a week later another property owner is going to pay a separate company to maintain a tree on their block. If the city could go through and do block pruning we would have much greater efficiencies of scale. And this is um, what I mentioned. This is a real world example of the concern about the loss of trees due to this program. Um, this is the tree and on the left um, and the tree on the right are the same tree. Um, although it's now gone if you were to go there because um, as a result of this excessive pruning, the tree died and had to be removed. And so the city has lost all of those environmental benefits. Um, 30 years of growth is gone in an instant. And the property owner who did this did this directly because of his fear of having to maintain this tree um, being transferred to him. So this is exactly the type of thing that we um, don't want to have happen and wish didn't happen and hope won't happen in the future, but is a real concern of the program that we're in right now. And so then um, kind of the primary purpose of the hearing today was to give you all an update on the status of the transfer program. We estimate there are about 105,000 street trees in San Francisco. Um, that is an estimate are areas of the city where we do not have a good census of street trees um, because many trees are planted without a permit, so we don't have those permit records. Uh, in addition, we have areas like Sunset Boulevard that really are much more like a park, and our inventory data on those trees is not um, 100% accurate. So uh, currently, that's our estimate. Um, after having transferred... Uh, just over 6,000 trees to property owners. Um, About 70,000 are currently the maintenance responsibility of adjacent property owners. We anticipate after this program, Public Works would continue to maintain 18,600 trees. Those, again, are trees that are located in public medians or areas adjacent to public land where there is no adjacent property owner who could take over the maintenance responsibility. We have not yet inspected about 8,600 trees because we don't have the resources um, also to inspect the trees prior to transferring them. And then, as you noted, Supervisor Weiner, there are a number of trees that we weren't able to transfer because they're They've been neglected for many years due to our inability to prune them regularly, and so they're not in a condition where they can be transferred. We need to either prune them or fix the sidewalk around them or do both before we're able to transfer them to the adjacent property owner. Um, We had, last fiscal year, we did transfer 3,000 trees to adjacent property owners um, because we were given a budget allocation to um, continue this maintenance transfer. Um, We also have transferred trees to other city agencies. So historically, Public Works took care of many of the street trees adjacent to um, agencies, other city agencies, buildings. And um, as a result of this program, we're saying, well, we can't do this for you anymore. So we're making those city agencies also responsible for their care. Of the trees outside their properties, and so that, that transfer
0: doesn't even save any the, any public money. It's just a different agency doing it, probably less efficiency than less efficiently than DPW can do it.
5: Yeah, it doesn't save public money, but of course, with the limited resources Public Works has for tree care, right. we're we're then able to allocate that to other trees that we that we can't unload right. on somebody else. Right, but there's other
0: agencies right. also part of the city budget. Yes. Or the, pub- or the school district budget or whatever it might be, are now having to spend money probably, at, I imagine, at a greater cost per tree because they don't have their own in-house arborist staff.
5: That's an f- absolutely valid point. Yeah. I have a quick question. Sure. Hi, Carla. Hi.
6: Um, when you were talking about uh, transferring trees back to other uh, city agencies, when was that transfer made?
5: Um, that was done in um, fiscal
6: year thirteen fourteen. So it was done after we transferred trees to res- um, residential owners or homeowners?
5: Yeah, it's been concurrently. So um, as we have inspected trees and as we've been, you know, cleaning up the database, uh, we identified these trees adjacent to other city agencies, and so the director also did that. But we are continuing to transfer trees to adjacent property owners, and presumably if we come across a tree that is another city agency's responsibility that we didn't realize um, initially, then we would also continue to transfer those over to other city
6: agencies. So it's happening simultaneously. Is there – when the trees are transferred and and homeowners indicate that they're unable to to pay, is there um – some kind of a special program for low income or senior um, uh, new tree owners
5: so we had actually investigated this and worked with um,
6: uh, we have a program
5: for um, sidewalk repairs for low income property owners that's a lo- it 's a loan program. Um, but very few people actually take advantage of that because, in fact, to qualify for that program, if you do own property, again, even though it may not be liquid assets, um, few people actually qualify under the regulations for that aid. Do because you know what, of the, the,
6: the, what, what the qualifications are? Is it simple or is it really complex?
5: I could get you that information, but I think what the, generally what the barrier is is that it, the property is worth um, enough money, again, even if that's not a liquid asset, that they don't qualify as a
6: – um, and if, since it's a loan program, do you know what the interest rate is on that loan? I don't, I know there's a 12% administrative fee associated with it. A 12% administrative fee? Yeah. Oof, okay. Thank you. Thank you.
0: And so, so just to be clear, in terms of, uh, of the total number of trees that starting, when, so when relinquishing went into effect in 2011 through today, how many trees have been transferred total?
5: Um, sh- would you like me to count the other Pardon city agency trees or just? Yeah,
0: uh, yeah, uh, yes.
5: Okay. So if we count that, it's about 6,600 6, trees. And then how
0: many uh, trees have yet to be transferred? Just
5: over 14,000.
0: Okay. And when do you think uh, uh, that'll be complete? When will everything have been transferred to property owners?
5: Well, we, uh, we have a very ambitious goal of transferring 5,000 trees to adjacent property owners this fiscal year. I don't think that we're gonna be able to meet that goal, um, but because, as I said, many of the trees need um, pruning or sidewalk repair, and in order to transfer them, we'll have to do that beforehand. Um, so it will be a function of whether we get additional resources um, in the next couple of years as well to complete this transfer program. Um, the magnitude to complete the transfer program over the next few years, um, if we're assuming 5,000 trees a year, is about $12.7 million.
0: Um, and if if you don't receive the funds mm-hmm. to do the transfer work in terms of getting the tree and the sidewalk in shape, then DPW just has to limp along on its current budget taking care of those trees?
5: That's right, and as we are Able to prune trees and/or complete sidewalk repair through um, other funding initiatives um, or through our routine work, our very limited annual allocation. We will then try to transfer those trees, but clearly it will take much longer to do yeah, so. Yeah,
0: you know, the real—I um, uh, think one of the real challenges here is, you know, th- there is a temptation that we could try really hard in one particular budget year to say, let's give a bunch of money to DPW to allow it to do more in terms of taking care of the trees. But I think we've also seen, and this is—and I understand this goes back. 30, 40 years that trees perform very, very poorly in the city budget process. They're competing against public health and public safety and uh, all sorts of other important uh, uh, priorities. And so trees tend to uh, uh, get thrown under the bus pretty quickly when you have a challenging budget year. And so even if we were able to find uh, the funding in a given year, I would have very, very low confidence levels that over time uh, the city would actually maintain that funding level if there were other priorities or challenging budget years. Which is why, in my view, it's so important that we establish a, a dedicated funding stream. Uh, and I know we've, we've talked over time about the possibility of uh, exploring um, a parcel tax uh, that would be conditioned on the city assuming responsibility for all of the trees, uh, which would actually save uh, many property owners uh, money, paying sixty or eighty dollars a year or whatever it is on a parcel tax, and being relieved of the responsibility to prune the tree to fix the sidewalk that 's broken by the tree and so forth, um, it could be a, a benefit uh, to many property owners. Uh, but uh, you know that that's a, a big deal to do a, a parcel tax, and by no means guaranteed to <coughs> succeed. Uh, so it, it's a it's a very challenging situation. And I want to thank you and and all the, the men and women of DPW for really doing a lot with very limited resources.
5: Thank you. If I could just also then um, quickly respond to Supervisor Chu's questions. Um, Actually, if I I could just
4: say one thing before that. Sure. Uh, So earlier when I was making my comments, I was uh, referencing a letter that I'd sent to the mayor and your department in September, and I do want to just acknowledge, I do understand that DBAW staff has worked uh, in the last couple weeks to pull an action plan together, and there had been some delays that were outside of your department's control, so I wanted to just acknowledge that publicly. Thank you for that. Uh, And I also understand uh, we have a number of constituents from around the City, but particularly from the northeast neighborhoods who have been focused on this appropriately. And I just, uh, I know it's been a frustrating situation for your staff, uh, for my constituents in my office, but I do hope we now have an action plan that will start to address uh, some of the most immediate dangers that we see.
5: Okay, great. Yeah, thank you. I was going to just note that we um, we have had meetings with uh, many of your constituents and developed that action plan um, as a result of those meetings that we had had earlier, so... Just wanted to let you know that. Could
4: you summarize that just for a moment for constituents here who have not heard what that plan will entail?
5: Sure. So we have actually already begun some work on both Lombard and on Hyde Street. Um, The work on Hyde Street is being coordinated with the um, SFMTA because of the trolley cars and the need to, um, you know, um, be sure that we're not impacting their ability to, to provide that service. Um, The goal is to really focus on um, thinning the ficus trees and and reducing the height as much as we can while still holding to the city's pruning standards. It's important to recognize that, um, you know, we uh, oftentimes people say, why can't you just cut the, the top of the tree out so that it's not so big and it's not such a problem. But in fact, that will actually create a stress repon- response that makes um, the the limbs grow much more quickly and they're actually weaker and they're going to be more likely to fail over time. And so we're working on um, trying to reduce the canopy appropriately and thinning out those trees as much as we can. And um, we anticipate um, that we could... Um, w- that we'll have funding to do about 70 trees um, wh- because we are doing this fairly intensive pruning process. And we will have a crew out there working consistently until early December. And at that point, we're going to reassess. Um, because we had worked with some of the constituents, particularly along Hyde Street, we had already inspected and prioritized those trees for pruning as well as a couple of trees for removal. Um, we'll be funding the replanting of trees with our annual um, Prop K planting allocation, so we won't need to take your ADVAC funding to do that.
4: I'm sorry, you will not be able.
5: We will not need to take that funding to do the replanting, okay. so we'll focus that funding on pruning and limited removals where removals are necessary.
4: That is great news, and I appreciate that, and obviously, uh, I think from my perspective, this is a, a good first step, but we still have a lot more to do in this area. Um, I know, Supervisor Weir and I and and your department, we've talked about the long-term fiscal needs here. And ideally, if we had uh, some way to pay for all the trees in the city, that would be great. One thing I'll just mention, I've heard from constituents, um, I think everyone who has a major tree or set of trees next to them knows none of us as individual uh, tenants or homeowners are expert in trees. And and you really do need... um, specific folks with the training and, and, and knowledge in how to uh, how to prune trees and ensure that we're creating the right kind of canopy is, is done. Um, and, and there have been some suggestions of, of park improvement districts or other ways in certain neighborhoods of allowing homeowners or others that uh, that would be less well-equipped to pay as an individual for tree removal or tree uh, maintenance, but would be willing to pay the city or a larger pot uh, so that we could do this. Could you just give us some of your thoughts on, on creative financing mechanisms to, to handle this? I, I certainly, for one, while the work that we are doing these couple months is incredibly necessary, I feel like this is just it's a band-aid approach uh, to what we need to do longer term
5: yeah i i agree with you on that i think um one of the important things to recognize is that trees benefit the city as a whole and so I think from our perspective having um, a program that would allow us to maintain trees citywide is really the best approach and um, my colleague from the planning department John Sway will talk a little bit about the findings of some research we did as part of the urban forest plan that really recommends a municipally managed program for the best practice for a city. Um, there are as part of that plan um, we worked with a consultant to do a financing study to really identify. What is the need, and to look at what some possible funding mechanisms are. So, I think we have that information, but um, I would just advocate that while some districts might be able or more willing um, to finance trees in their own district, I think um, from a broader management perspective, we would like to see a citywide program that will really allow us to take care of the trees in all the districts um, because there may be districts where, for whatever reason, whether it's a a lower economic. constituent base or you might have you know greater um, industrial area where you're not going to necessarily get that kind of support and yet those areas probably need tree care um, greater or um, certainly equal to the areas that might be able to fund something on a parcel or district basis.
4: Okay, thank you. And I want to apologize. I'm not a member of this committee, but I unfortunately have to run to another meeting. Uh, my staff will be monitoring the public comment here, and I do want to mention that uh, my staff is organizing a meeting of residents in my district for later next week uh, to talk about progress in this area. I look forward to the work I know, uh, Carla, you and your team have been doing, and I want to thank you because uh, we all know you're uh, unbelievably understaffed and underresourced, and, and you certainly are here, and I think loud and clearly from a number of us that we want to find those resources in the short term. It's going to take a lot of work, I think, to convince San Francisco that this is a problem that we need to fund, but I think it is something we absolutely need to do uh, for the health, beauty, and safety of our city. So thank you. Thank
7: you very much.
0: Thank, thank you. Uh, next, I want to uh, invite up Friends of the Urban Forest. I um, see Dan Flanagan here and Gordon Matassa. I don't – I think – is Gordon going to go first? So Gordon.
8: hi supervisors thank you for having this hearing appreciate your support i'm going to show a powerpoint of some images of uh, visual examples of um, poor tree care uh, that carla was speaking about Also, I'm uh, an ISA-certified arborist and uh, planting manager at Friends of the Urban Forest. SFGTV. Okay, here are some examples I just wanted to show of uh, different trees that have been inappropriately pruned by homeowners and uh, why we need to have dedicated funding source so that the city can maintain all of them. Here's an example. There are two ficus trees next to each other at the same property. Uh, As the note says, uh, fortunately, a neighbor was able to uh, um, prevent the second tree from being inappropriately pruned. This is called topping where they remove the majority of the canopy. This is an example of what could happen to a tree such as a, well, this is a ficus as well. What could happen to a tree if it's inappropriately pruned? You can see the sap leaking down. Uh, This is not... Uh, not pruned according to the standards of the International Society of Arboriculture.
6: I'm sorry, I don't know anything about pruning trees. So can you tell me what am I exactly looking at? You said this is an example of what happens when you don't prune a tree incorrectly. So yes. is that bacteria, fungus? What was that on the trunk? The okay, left? this
8: is uh, sap coming out. Okay. Uh, this is a, a response to the wound. It's trying to heal itself up. And well, the sap comes out because it's uh, it's an exposed wound. So a tree, if it if it is pruned correctly, can Grow uh, trunk over or grow bark over a wound and protect itself from further damage. Because it's open like this, it can become a vector for disease and other illnesses, fungus, etc. Here's an example at a church that happened uh, within the last year of trees severely topped, ficus as well, I believe. And uh, this is what it looked like before on the left, and this is what it looks like now. Here again are more ficus trees. They seem to be. They seem to get the brunt of the the bad pruning here. <laughs> here is a strawberry tree, uh, which uh, does not need pruning like this. Nor do ficus really. Uh, when they're pruned back like this to this uh, stump now, you see on the right, I, the only thing that's good for is kindling at this point. It is no longer supporting our urban forest.
6: I'm sorry. You said the only thing it's good for is what? Uh, kindling.
8: It, it should be cut down at this point. It's not. I mean. It, it's not suitable for uh, uh, to be uh, trained to grow back as a, as a normal tree. Here again to say, this is a uh, New Zealand Christmas tree, which is popular, especially in the western part of the uh, San Francisco and the western neighborhoods. Here again, more visual examples of uh, inappropriate pruning. And this is what happens when it starts to grow back. You'll see some foliage down at the base, and it'll eventually come up into big clumps. And it will eventually look some. it could eventually look something like this. This is a tree that was topped a while ago, and the tree sent back response growth. So uh, unknown, or to the untrained eye, someone might say that the tree looks fine, but actually this is not healthy at all for the tree. It's terrible.
6: What's wrong with it? When you say it's healthy and not good for the tree, like what?
8: So it's um, – at this point, where the bran- if the branch has been cut back too far, then the uh, the tree responds by shooting out a bunch of new growth, and uh, they compete. They're called a sucker growth. They compete for um, – to become the new branch, and they're also not securely uh, – I'm sorry, I can't think of the exact terms um, – they, are, uh, they have weak connections to the original tree. So they have a, li- a higher likelihood of growing up and then falling because they're not as securely uh, grown as it would have been if the tree was never pruned. Here's an example. I know Carla showed some pictures of this. I'm going to show them as well. Uh, this is in the, the Chronicle in February of 2014. This individual who topped back two of his trees. I know she already showed the picture. I'm going to show it again for emphasis. That's um, not a very good picture. It's from Google Maps, but you can see the tree on the. So if you look behind the gentleman here, there's one tree and there's one in front of him on the left, um, and this picture, the one that's in front, of, that's behind him, is to the left, and the one to the right did not make it. So this is an example of why, trees need to uh, uh, need to have unified care by the city, so that way things like this don't happen, because this is just decreasing our urban canopy. And I have a few examples of pictures where trees have fallen uh, due to inadequate care. Here's a blackwood acacia. It's known for having weak wood. So failure like this is possible uh, with maintenance and um, if uh, watched over time, rot and other types of things that uh, would lead to this could be um, found out and taken care of before a problem happens. Here's another example. This was in District 8 where a tree fell down in the night, another ficus tree. And this I know you already saw from Supervisor Chu, so I'll go through that. This was recent. Uh, this, I believe, this was also shown by Supervisor Chu, but not the same picture. It was a, a different image from the same tree uh, branch failure. Oops. And here, yet another one. And I've showed this one because these trees are a lot of times are in commercial neighborhoods, such as you can see here. And while we're fortunate that no one's been hurt, there hasn't been any casualties from this, it's a matter of time before that could happen. So that's a huge concern, it's for the public safety. And then finally, for fun, we have this picture here. This did not happen in San Francisco, but this is an example of something that could happen. Trees falling from a storm, they weren't, uh, healthy enough to withstand the storm, and property damage could ensue. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Mr. Matassa. Okay, um, uh, we now have uh, John Sway from the Planning Department who's uh, leading uh, the department's efforts around the Urban Forest Master Plan.
9: afternoon supervisors my name is John Sway with the Planning Department staff I'm also the manager of the city's urban forest plan so I wanted to give you a little update on what we've been doing related to the plan and I actually have copies of the latest plan for the supervisors so the urban forest plan is a joint effort between different city departments including the Planning Department the Department of Public Works the Recreation and Park Department as well as working with the Friends of the Urban Forest and the city's Urban Forestry Council. And the goal of the plan is really to figure out a way to proactively manage the city's trees and grow our urban forest. So the plan will be taking place in three phases. The first phase, which you have before you, is the street, phase one street trees, which we completed earlier this year. And we expect to be moving on to a, a phase two regarding trees in the parks. And then a third phase that will address trees on private property um, and in backyards. So the first phase of the street tree plan encompasses three elements a finance study to look at addressing some of the long-term funding issues for the urban forest, a street tree census of 27,000 trees to better understand what's happening with the city's street trees, and an urban forest plan, which was the policy document. And the vision for the Urban Forest Plan is really to develop a healthy, well-maintained and sustainably financed urban forest for the City of San Francisco. Um, I'm just going to highlight two of the recommendations of the plan, kind of most relevant to the conversation here. but. Since, as Supervisor Weiner mentioned, we have one of the smallest tree canopies in the United States of any major city, we think a really good goal for the city would be to grow the city's street tree population by 50%. So this would be adding about 50,000 new street trees over the next 20 years, which is a pretty modest goal. We have cities like Los Angeles planting a million trees. Um, we think San Francisco can do this. This would involve about 2,500 new street trees a year. And as related to any kind of new street tree planting, what we also require is street tree maintenance. And so the plan also recommends establishing and funding a citywide street tree maintenance program, whereby the city could take over responsibility for 100 percent of the city's street trees. We also conducted an urban um, street tree financing study to look at what other cities are doing and potential um, options for San Francisco. We looked at different cities in California, Santa Monica, Sacramento, Davis, San Jose, Redwood City, and also Portland. Um, and the major findings of this of these case studies in the work were that routine maintenance, of course, decreases costs. This is something Carla was mentioning. Block pruning is also a highly efficient best practice that can reduce the cost of tree maintenance by 50% per tree. And this is something um, given DPW's Um, response to emergencies this is not allowed to happen right now. We also found that property owners do pay for sewer repair related to tree roots in most other cities and that's a policy that recently changed in San Francisco and I think this final final note that municipal programs do provide a higher standard of care is what we learned from the cities and the staff working on urban forestry in those places. And something we're excited about that we're going to be kicking off at the beginning of next year is a citywide Street Tree Census. We received about $200,000 from the city's capital planning committee and another $100,000 from the Department of Public Works to really develop a database and inventory of the city's street trees. This is something we don't currently have. So we'll be going out and collecting information on every street tree in every neighborhood in San Francisco.
0: So that's just kind of a high level of the work we've been doing related to the planning. Great, thank you, Mr. Sway, and I know that the plan will be coming to the board in the in the near future. So I look forward to that.
10: Supervisor uh, Weiner, can I yes. just ask Mr. Sway a quick question? Um, Mr. Sway, you mentioned that we have a goal within twenty years to increase our street trees by fifty percent, but LA is increasing theirs by a million, and I see that they already have a much higher percentage of a tree canopy than we do. How are they funding it, and for other cities like Portland that show up on in, their, um, in the study, from Portland to other cities like Seattle even, how, they're quite a bit more of a canopy than we are, but how do they fund this?
9: Yeah, well, in the city, the Los Angeles Million Trees Campaign, I think there's also one in New York City. These are kind of really high-profile um, funding campaigns, and maybe the Friends of the Urban Force knows about, more about this than I do, but they really collect a lot of private money to include um, you know, a big mass planting phased over a number of years. And you know, there's largely a nonprofit involved, but it does involve a large commitment of, of private money and city support to achieve something like that.
0: And I, but I, and actually, you raise a very good uh, point because it is—I uh, don't want to say very easy—but it is um, uh, re, you, you can raise a lot of money to plant trees. So, in terms of planting trees, you can go to foundations and corporations, and it's very sexy uh, to plant trees. Uh, but the problem is with the maintaining it—not just now or three or five, but forever uh, for the life cycle of the tree—and so. Uh, you know, we the, the, the problem that we've had and hopefully LA won't have the same problem is we'll go ahead and plant a bunch of trees uh, and then not allocate the money to take care of them. And so uh, even in some of the funding discussions we've been having about long-term sustainable funding, it's more about sustainable funding for the maintenance of the trees because we're always going to be able to put together, if we need to, other sources of funding to do the original plantings. And Friends of the Urban Forest does a phenomenal job in terms of getting those plantings together and then uh, maintaining the trees for the first three years uh, of their life. Uh, but then the question is, what happens after that? And that's really where um, uh, the city has to step in or we're never going to have that kind of longevity. So. Yeah, I just wanted to add, I, I love the history and the, the whole
10: context of what San Francisco looked like before um, the heavy developments, but even just the history of the um, founding of the Friends of the Urban Forest to where we're at today. But, you know, what a great document here. And then the, the phases that you laid out to... Hopefully plan for a a greener more tree line San Francisco are really appreciated but thank you so much.
0: Great. Thank you Mr. Sway. Okay. Uh, Colleagues if there are no additional comments or questions at this point we will open item number two up for public comment. Um, We do have some public comment uh, uh, cards uh, which I'll call Uh, Dan Flanagan, uh, Kristen Kriebel, and Susanna Russo. Mr. Flanagan from Friends of the Urban Forest.
11: Good afternoon. Um, Thank you very much, Supervisors. I think we're incredibly fortunate to have a Board of Supervisors that have now actually started to address this problem. This is a problem that's been around for many, many years. And it, ironically, uh, as you said, the history of Friends and Forest is captured in that document. But we was, we were started 33 years ago because the Board of Supervisors cut the budget for the care and maintenance and the planting of street trees 33 years ago. And a bunch of concerned citizens came up and thought, wait, well, that shouldn't happen. Now, as I'd like to almost underscore every single thing that Supervisor Wiener has said today, and the, one of the most important things he said was that the the money for planting trees is It's easy. It's sexy. It happens. But the money for the care and maintenance of trees has historically in this city been really hard to come by. You use the words, it's very hard for trees to compete in the annual budget process here in San Francisco. So three years ago when we were informed by the Department of Public Works that the relinquishment program was going to be started. we identified the fact that this is exactly the worst thing that we could be doing as a city. We should be doing exactly the opposite thing. The city should be taking back all the responsibility for the street trees because that is the best practice, not only in California, but throughout the United States for all the reasons that have been stated before. It's much more efficient to do it. It's done much better and it's really not fair to release trees back to homeowners that don't have the money. So. Um, Oh, that was three minutes. Wow, that was fast. Um, thank you very much for uh, uh, addressing this issue. It's absolutely vital. Friends of the Forest will be working extremely hard with um, our uh, partners, with the supervisors, to maintain this level of attention on this uh, question and hopefully, perhaps in 2016, have uh, a solution for the voters of San Francisco.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Flanagan. Ms. Kreebel.
12: Chairmen and Supervisors, Kirsten Krabel, San Francisco Beautiful. Um, Dan outlined uh, why his organization got started 30-plus years ago uh, in response to the reduction in funding for street trees. San Francisco Beautiful, little-known history, um, actually first started as a committee after our campaign to save the cable cars. We joined as a committee of the Chamber of Commerce started the first citywide tree planting program in San Francisco. Um, You've got 60 plus years of advocates coming to City Hall saying uh, we want to help you. Uh, We will do what we can to get more trees in San Francisco. Um, You've got a Department of Public Works saying we can't maintain the one third of street trees that we have. We don't have adequate funding. At our best time we were meeting 50% of goal. Uh, You've got a planning department saying we've got a modest vision uh, that that will increase our tree canopy by 50% that. Um, the last mayor couldn't do it. This mayor hasn't shown leadership on it. Thank you supervisors for, for bringing this forward, but we, re- we need some real vision here. Your advocates will support you. Uh, San Franciscans have said over and over and over again, every time we poll them, street trees are in the top three concerns that they have for livability in their neighborhoods. Uh, we will stand with you, and we want to see some leadership forward on this, so please uh, continue these talks, and, and let's give the city, uh, the departments, uh, and the people of San Francisco and the advocates, the the leadership that they need in order to move this forward. Now is the time. The only good news is that it can't get worse. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Next speaker.
13: Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Susanna Russo. I am a resident of District 8. I just want to thank you very much for your attention to this issue. Um, I am an 11-year volunteer for Friends of the Urban Forest. I moved from out of state and the first organization that I joined and the work that I have been doing for the past eleven years has been training volunteers of Friends of the Urban Forest to maintain street trees. I was trained by a FUF arborist. I went to classes offered by FUF. I read, I learned and I have been teaching residents of the City of San Francisco, young and old, retired, working, who care about the trees in San Francisco. It has been a huge part of my life. I'm an advocate for trees and for animals. I am a former uh, member of the Animal Control and Welfare Commission. I speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. I want to tell you um, what you don't know about me, in addition to the fact that I've put in hundreds of hours of um, volunteer time, um, my commitment is not only then to the past, but also to the future. I will pay more taxes. I will keep working for trees. I will share all my knowledge for trees. But I just need you to find an answer. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Mr. Rousseau. Is there any additional public comment? Yes, Mr. Wormer.
14: Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Paul Wormer. I am one of the the lucky citizens who has been gifted with a tree by the city.
0: Congratulations.
14: Uh, And frankly, I don't object to that. I I understand the problems and I'm very happy to take on the responsibility. But I did indeed have some questions and questions about responsibility. Uh, The box for the tree was too small. The tree was outgrowing it. And it was right next to public utilities, the water inlets. And I asked um, SFPUC, you know, please, I've got some questions before I accept this. What is the responsibility? How do these things play out? Now, I saw in the presentation from SFPUC that, yes, there's an opportunity to ask questions and there's a hearing if needed. But I think what got lost in that statement is there's an opportunity to, to submit an appeal and there's an opportunity to appear before a hearing officer to state your appeal, but there is no dialogue, there is no discussion, and there was no answering of questions, which makes it very frustrating. There was also the statement that the director will review the appeal and will respond to you. Well, I went to that appeal hearing back and I think it was March or April. I still don't know if I'm responsible for that street tree because I still have not heard from DPW. Now I understand folks are understaffed and I understand these are problems, but if there's some way you could help facilitate better communication from the agency that is asking us to take responsibility when we're trying to clarify what that responsibility is and how to play out when there are difficulties such as interaction with other city organizations, um, that would make things a lot easier and take away some of the stress uh, that falls upon us. And I'm hoping you can, as part of your activities encourage that better communication to the, to the citizens who are trying to work with the program. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Mr. Warmer. And maybe after the hearing, you can chat with Ms. Short. She's actually been incredibly helpful to constituents in District 8 who have had questions about the relinquishment program. So hopefully she can answer your questions. Thank you. Mr. Cleveland.
15: Good afternoon, Supervisors. Ken and Cleveland, representing the building owners and managers association here in the city, primarily commercial property owners. Uh, I'm very encouraged by what you're doing today, Supervisor Weiner. You came to us maybe a year ago and had a discussion about this with us, and we're very supportive then, we're very supportive now. I think we need a, a clear city responsibility here, taking over both sidewalks and street trees, and then coming up with a dedicated funding source that we can all support. So thank you for doing this,
0: and we support it. Thank you, Mr. Cleveland. I really do. BOMA has been incredibly supportive, so thank you. Next speaker.
16: Frank Mason, I'd like to say that this is a one-fits-all policy and everyone basically gets a street tree and it disregards the elderly, disabled, people that are forgetful uh, and they're unable to sweep the leaves to keep the tree basins clean in accordance with the DPC, a DPW code. There's no bumper sticker measure of success for this 20-year, $500 million program. Uh, is it sea level rise reduction crime re- or crime reduction? There's no really scientific measurable standard. Now the Department of the Environment's 2012 climate action plan uh, states by 2030 there were supposed to be 2 million units of CO2 reduction. And then they state in there that this street tree plan is going to contribute 6,000 units, which is two-tenths of 1%. Then you also have the conflict with the natural areas program, where on one hand we're now at street trees going to plant trees. Natural area program is contending to go and uh, remove trees. Uh, under the CEQA exemption, you should ask what does the pollen and asthma impact on people and also the atmospheric uh, mercury from cement production for the buckled sidewalks. There's currently 15,000 sidewalk locations for a backlog of $15 million. The funding of the property owner is basically you're treating the property owner as the automatic teller machine, uh, and there must be some adult supervision. Now, the... Uh, the Trees for Tomorrow program recklessly allocated over $2,500 a tree for $60 million, in which were not maintained. Now, the assessor in uh, the State Board of Equalization reports that partially completed projects are not enrolled, and thus we're losing revenue. And uh, what's going to be the parcel tax for a high-rise condo if you're going to divide 25 floors by $53? Again, the property owner on the land is getting the bad end of it. Now, currently, we have parcel tax for school tax, city college, and also the Harvey Rose report on public works that had the highest absentee and low productivity uh, for the trees. Thank Thank you. you. And also, we've got too many trees in District 8 compared to other districts.
0: I haven't heard that one before, but thank you very much. Um, Is there any additional public comment on item number two? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Um, Colleagues, thanks for taking the time to hear this, uh, I think, very important uh, issue uh, in in terms of making sure that we have a healthy and expansive uh, urban forest in San Francisco. Uh, I want to thank the Department of Public Works for giving a very uh, candid and sobering assessment of where we are and where we're going. Uh, I know it's very frustrating for the department when you you want to be able to do more but you just don't have the resources. And thank you to Friends of the Urban Forest for everything you do in terms of planting trees, caring for trees, and and for being uh, in many ways the voice of uh, in the community for, for our street trees. Uh, So, colleagues, uh, this is an issue that will be ongoing uh, and uh, this is certainly not the end. Uh, We'll be having a discussion for some time until we resolve this issue and uh, I I know for one that I am uh, very committed to making sure that we uh, resolve it. Uh, Supervisor
6: Cohen. Thank you very much, Carla. I just wanted to acknowledge your presentation. Thank you. Uh, it was very good. It's very very knowledgeable. I hope the folks at home watching had an opportunity to learn something new here. On the southeastern part of the city, as you know, Carla, we've got some troubles with with trees. It's we 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 don't have enough yet. The ones that we do have are big. They're overgrowing. They're uplifting concrete, which presents a problem. Um, I have a large um, a large uh, community that is aging and struggle. People are struggling to stay in their homes, and when they realize that they have to have the ownership of these trees, it's a, it also presents an additional struggle. And so we do have to figure out a way to balance, and I would agree with um, Supervisor Weiner's comments about planting trees. is always fun and exciting, and it's funny because you see young people planting trees, but yet I hear from the older members of the community complaining about them and, and the maintenance of them. And usually these the trees are very large, they're very overgrown, they're very sick, um, and so it's a very um, – Complex conundrum that we find ourselves in, and uh, just want to also recognize the leadership within DPW uh, friends of the urban forest i don 't want you to misconstrue my words i 'm not discouraging you from planting the trees. I just agree that we have we should be a, very mindful about our funding source and how we 're going to continue to maintain these trees and um, as folks have said in public comment, I think it 's very um, we just need to be smarter about how, we're, how, how we are um, allocating resources in a very resource-stressed city. So um, to Scott Weiner, I just want to say thank you for pulling together this hearing. It was actually very informational. It answered many of the questions that I had, particularly about the administration fee. I had no idea that, 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 I, that there was a um, sidewalk, sidewalk repair and the loan program with the 12% um, admin fee. We've got to figure out a way to probably reduce some of these fee costs so that those that are living in public housing, those that are living, not public housing, but in a subsidized housing, or have a fixed income, uh, still have an opportunity to maintain the trees. Uh, um, That's it for me, thank you. Great,
0: thank you. Okay, with that, uh, colleagues, could I have a motion to continue item two to the call of the chair?
6: So moved. Okay,
0: and we'll take that without objection. Thank you, everyone. Uh, Madam Clerk, will you please call items three and four together relating to formula retail.
1: Item number three is an ordinance amending the planning code to amend the definition of formula retail and large-scale retail controls to include businesses with 19 or more outlets worldwide. And item number four is an ordinance amending the planning code to expand the definition of formula retail controls to include businesses with 11 or more outlets worldwide.
0: Uh, thank you, Madam Clerk, and today is in some ways the culmination of a lot of work uh, by Supervisor Marr in his office and uh, by the planning uh, department, and uh, I'd like to turn it over to Supervisor Marr. Thank you, Chair Weiner.
10: I guess as people um, quickly leave the room, let me first say that this has been several years of work from many community-based um, leaders, small business leaders, and many others that have been working on this issue of um, supporting neighborhood character and a neighborhood voice um, in in planning when chain stores or form, as we call them formula the retail stores um, make applications to move into different neighborhood commercial districts. Um, I wanted to say that this effort from my office, and I'd like to thank especially Supervisor Weiner, Supervisor Cohen. Um, and other supervisors that have proposed different individual and and district level um, proposals from supervisors Farrell to Breed and Kim as well. But a lot of our efforts in pulling everything together come from the great input from my colleagues. I wanted to start by thanking our planning director, John Ram, and the planning staff, in particular, Kanishka Burns and Anne Marie Rogers. uh, Amazing hard work. Um, complicated work that they've done and really their advice to Nick Pagalatos from my office that coordinated a lot of this um, as well what is really valuable to us and also the consultants from strategic economics in their hard work in creating a, the recent comprehensive study of formula retail in San Francisco or chain stores in San Francisco and all of the time spent working with my staff all of you to um, overcome at times what seem to be differences that um, seem pretty wide but we've come together with one measure to move forward today so I'm very very pleased with all the work that people have put into this. I wanted to also thank Todd Rufo from the Office of Economic and Workforce Development um, and Supervisor Weiner and his aide Andres Power for helping us move this across the, the finish line in many ways um, so that we have one measure that hopefully will move forward to the full board. I wanted to also say that Nick Pagalatos from my staff has acted almost like a Bruce Bocce in some ways of pulling people together to work as a team um, in this effort to strengthen but also update our formula retail chain store ordinance in the city. I wanted to also say that many community members and experts in economic development have been valuable. Stacey Mitchell from the Institute for Local Self Reliance, Paul Wormer who spoke earlier today, Wendy Moog, Wendy Moog, Scott Hauge, Stephen Cornell, Gary Weiss, Rick Karp, um, incredible small business leaders, but also Small Business Commissioner Kathleen Dooley, um, Hut Landon from SF Loma, or Locally Owned Merchants Association, John Toja, Pat Tura, Andy Blue, who's in the audience today, Kamal Karaja, and Miriam Zuzunis from the Arab American Grocers, Kyle Smealy, Chris Schulman, Nancy Shanahan, Peter Cohen from the Council of Community Housing Organizations, Gabriel Medina from Meta, Russell Pritchard, Lynn Bayer, Larry Cronander, and Dina Davenport-Conway. And I apologize if I've left anyone out. I wanted to say also that I agree with the conclusions of the strategic economics consultants in their comprehensive study. And I know Anne-Marie and Kanishka will be going through this in a moment. and their study of our existing chain store controls, they they concluded that our existing controls are working in the way that we intended them to work in 2004 and then when voters passed our formula retail ordinance, Prop G in 2006, um, and that we do not need a radical overhaul but rather some thoughtful tinkering in order to, make, um, to update, close loopholes, um, clarify when there's ambigu- ambiguity, but especially to strengthen our formula retail chain store um, ordinance as well to reflect neighborhood um, changes and the changing neighborhood context as well. Um, a key part of this from many of the leaders from the small business community and neighborhoods was to give a stronger neighborhood voice in the process. Um, I've been committed to giving our neighborhood residents um, a strong voice in their economic development of their neighborhood corridors and to leveling the playing field, especially for local, independent, and small businesses that are the backbone of our economy in San Francisco. and and they provide much of the character and the unique charm of our various neighborhoods and San Francisco as a whole. The legislation before you, and I've just handed out the amended version as well, um, it comes from dozens of meetings with community residents and small business leaders and others and from an ongoing dialogue with the planning department. Many of our small businesses today all of us know are struggling to survive in a difficult economy. Some of our city's small independent businesses um, are struggling especially to keep up with rising rents, Um, even with the city's economic growth, which has attracted new national brands and chain stores and allowed other independent retailers to expand. The strategic economics study showed that by creating disincentives for formula retailers or chain stores to locate in San Francisco's neighborhood commercial districts, the formula retail controls may help lower costs for independent retailers and by making neighborhood commercial districts less attractive for formula retailers or chain stores, um, these types of controls may help lower rents in some districts and reduce costs for independent retailers. The formula retail conditional use authorization process, which was established again in 2004 and 2006, allows the Planning Commission to exercise discretion to respond to case-by-case concerns um, by community members. And the majority of formula retail conditional use applications have been approved according to the data from the Planning uh, Department. However, in cases where community members have reached a clear consensus that a proposed chain store is not desirable, and have appeared before the Planning Commission hearings, conditional use authorizations have often been denied or withdrawn. So I think that process seems to work. Um, Strategic economics found also that formula retailers or chain stores willingness to go through a formula retail conditional use process depends on um, the unique conditions in specific districts. Chain stores are more likely to submit applications in neighborhoods with strong market demand for new retail and where they anticipate Uh, positive reception by the community the findings also point to a a process that gives community and decision makers an opportunity to have a reasoned dialogue that generally reaches rational and reasonable outcomes and that makes sense for both the residents as well as the businesses there's no shortage of chain stores in san francisco um, in my opinion there's 1250 according to the study 1,250 chain stores in San Francisco. And it's generally found that where, where communities desire it, they're, they're welcomed in. But our legislation aims um, to close loopholes that leave um, ambiguity, so it's creating more clarity in our code. Um, and right now, this ambiguity tends to rob communities' Um, and existing businesses of the opportunity to have a say in critical economic development decisions that have far reaching impacts for the neighborhoods and the districts and the city as well. Um, It also seeks to bring a greater level of objective data into the decision making process for the planning department and the planning commission as well and also we aim to increase civic participation by giving a stronger neighborhood notice in this process as well. Amended piece of legislation um, has nine major components. I'm just going to walk us through very, very um, concisely and then kind of allow my colleagues to make comments as well before the planning staff give their explanation and description. So these are nine components of our legislation. The legislation expands the definition of formula retail to apply to businesses with 11 or more outlets worldwide as opposed to only within the U.S. So chain stores have become more global in the past eight to 10 years. It would include different stores like uh, UniGlo, Japan-based business, for example, to count the stores that are outside of the U.S., for example. Number two, our legislation includes retail uses that have not been included until now. It's closing some loopholes that Um, that exist, such as fitness chains and gymnasiums, check cashing outlets and massage parlors. So it's including some uses that some neighborhoods might find some concerns with. Number three, the ordinance requires that when considering a conditional use application for for formula retail use, the planning commission consider the economic impact of the proposed use on other businesses in the area To this end, it requires the applicant to have a consultant prepare an economic impact report and submit it with its application. So it's creating more data to have an economic impact report in the process. Number four, it expands the notice requirement. So this is about increasing neighborhood notice, neighborhood voice. It expands the notice requirement for formula retail applications requiring an additional 10 days of notice for the Planning Commission hearing at which the application would be considered. Number five, and more more data, because it's a data-driven process, create a way to measure the concentration of formula retail in a neighborhood that takes into account district-wide concentration, as well as the concentration in close proximity to the, the proposed chain store business. Number six, it creates a more consistent and efficient way to deal with situations where a formula retail business is replacing an existing formula retail business so it's about more efficiency in the process number seven it will expand formula retail controls to the mid-market district that's supervisor jane kim's district number eight it will maintain the number of outlets that are required to be defined as a chain store or formula retail at 11 so it's not allowing it to expand to 19. number nine in addition I intend to create a working group with others that have been working in our process that will be convened by my office with the planning staff to closely evaluate the issues raised by formula retail subsidiaries. So these are um, chain stores that are owned by a bigger formula retail entity. This group will meet regularly with the planning department, staff, and representatives from the city attorney's office to develop legally viable recommendations for how to deal with an increasing number of formula retail subsidiaries and spin-offs in our city. The amendments that I have kind of before us, I'm going to give a couple of arguments for, um, but I think a key one is keeping the threshold of our definition of what a formula retail um, entity is at 11 and not to allow it to expand to 19. I don't believe that it's necessary or wise to increase the threshold number, um, and many of our coalition that we have worked with Um, for several years, also feel very strongly about this. Um, The will of San Francisco's voters as expressed through Prop G in 2006 established this number at 11, and we believe there's not a valid reason to change it. Um, Though I I don't want to increase the threshold number, I'm interested in looking at other mechanisms to um, consider the smaller chains that exist in our city, especially the locally um, run and independent ones. Um, Our proposal is to um, work um, with similar stakeholders to um, utilize the, I think it's called the Small Business Priority Processing Pilot Program or SB4P. I was thinking Pence, Posey, Pablo and Pettit um, as the four Ps but this one is a Small Business Commission created one that helps to create a a streamlined process for small chains. Um, It's really trying to be sensitive to those independent and smaller chains that exist in our city that Um, are between like 12 and 19 um, stores. Um, So um, this SB4P um, would look at those chains that are between 12 and 20 outlets and it would allow them to move more efficiently through the CU process. And this approach has the benefit of keeping the existing threshold for defining formula retailers at 11 while providing a faster track for these smaller chains that many would like to see helped, including my office as well. If a small chain qualifies and goes through this required um, or goes through if a small chain qualifies and goes through a required community meeting without triggering objections it would be placed on the Planning Commission's consent calendar speeding up the process significantly for those smaller chains. However if there are any objections that um, the smaller chain would trigger a full-blown CU hearing so there could be objections raised by a community so it could um, raise, uh, raise it to a full CU hearing as well. So this is not part of the ordinance before us but I intend to explore this idea with the um, with the support of the Planning Commission and the Planning Department staff in my opinion. Um, towards the end of last week I wanted to say there's been a lot of negotiation and discussion on the legislation um, and with dialogue with stakeholders um, OEWD and Todd Rufo and um, and the Mayor's Office, also Planning Department staff and Supervisor Wiener's Office, um, I'm really pleased that we've, re- we've um, achieved a series of agreements so that we can move forward with one measure as opposed to two today. Um, and these areas where there were differences, now we kind of are combined with one common um, ordinance moving forward. And um, as a primary sponsor of the um, the Board of Supervisors measure, I'll be moving that I become the primary sponsor of the Planning Commission's ordinance and that we incorporate the following amendments. It's just three of them. Number one, it's we're changing the threshold of establishments needed to be defined as a formula retail from 19 back to 11. So it's keeping it at 11. Number two, we remove a specific use. We remove the business and professional services use from the list of proposed new uses to be included in the definition of formula retail Um, Supervisor Wieners implemented a zoning based approach for dealing with these sorts of um, office type uses, um, financial services um, and other types that I would like to see implemented on a citywide basis and would result in a similar outcome as subjecting them to a conditional use process. And I think many of these types of businesses could easily go on second floors and not on the um, ground floor um, storefront type use. Number three, modify the, the economic impact requirement um, in the planning proposal by dropping the square footage threshold from 50,000 square feet to 20,000 square feet. And let me give the rationale for that. After reviewing the data from the planning department, um, we agreed that setting a threshold at 50,000 square foot feet was simply too high. There were very few um, big box stores that of that size, and it did not reflect the size of a large formula retail projects that we have been coming or that have been coming into the city in the last few years. At twenty thousand square feet, though, we would be able to capture the larger, more economically impactful projects as well. Um, with that, I wanted to ask if colleagues have any comments, um, but especially to thank Supervisors Weiner and Cohen and my other colleagues, but especially Anne-Marie Rogers and Kanishka Burns and um, Director John Ram for their their great work on this. So um, if colleagues have comments, I wanted to then invite Kanishka Burns up to walk us in greater detail through the process.
0: Uh, uh, Thank you. I do have a few comments. So uh, first of all, Supervisor Mar, I want to thank you and your office for... Uh, helping to navigate this process and I, I was a little concerned for a while that we were going to have these two warring uh, versions and just have uh, end up possibly even having two versions at the board and uh, this is an issue that's eminently uh, resolvable, and I think that uh, uh, that we're moving firmly in that direction. So I appreciate your uh, um, willingness to work with the department and with all the stakeholders on all sides of the issue to try to come up with a consensus uh, piece of legislation. I also want to uh, acknowledge, acknowledge Andres Power in my office, who's uh, spent an enormous amount of time over the last a week uh, trying to uh, really uh, help move us in that direction. Uh, so I want to thank him for that. Um, you know, the, I, you know the, I think there is a, a pretty broad consensus in San Francisco, and the voters certainly showed it in passing Prop G. Um, that uh, we want to make sure that we preserve the integrity and the character of our neighborhoods. And that while uh, uh, formula retail certainly serves a role in our city, and there are certain kinds of services that only, really these days only exist through formula retail, we want to make sure that we have the right balance in our neighborhoods. And we know that when you have uh, too much of anything, including formula retail in a neighborhood, uh, it can really uh, affect uh, the uniqueness and the character of the neighborhood. Uh, and so uh, uh, it's important that we have a strong process around formula retail. I supported Prop G. Uh, and I support uh, having our conditional use process uh, for formula retail so that the community uh, can weigh in. I know in my district we have had um, uh, quite a number of instances where formula retail has sought to go in, uh, particularly in the Castro Upper Market neighborhood. And I think it's shown that the process has worked. There have been formula retail uh, proposals that have gone in with almost no, uh, opposition because there was proper outreach and it, uh, and, and people in the community thought that the, whether it was Levi's on Castro Street or, uh, CVS that went into the, the old Tower Records, massive, uh, location that people were concerned was going to stay vacant forever. It's had a lot of community support. Uh, On the other hand, we had some very robust discussions in the neighborhood uh, around Starbucks and Chipotle going into upper market and ultimately the commission rejected those proposals. So to me, whatever one's view is on any one of those proposals as examples, uh, the process works. The community can weigh in and ultimately the planning commission will make uh, a decision. Um, and so, uh, and, and I think uh, a number of the, um, I'm supportive of uh, the, the proposal today and of the amendments outlined uh, by Supervisor Marr. I think it's going to uh, provide a, uh, an even stronger and better process uh, than we already have. Um, what's uh, challenging is that a lot of times when we hear pushback against formula retail uh, zoning controls, it's not necessarily f- pushback back against the concept of having the community be able to weigh in with an opinion. I think there is pretty broad uh, support for making sure that people can weigh in. Uh, the, what we hear is uh, it's not so much related to formula retail but related to the fact that our conditional use process is really broken. It's not broken because of the community input. That's not broken at all. It's broken because the process takes so long and so uh, not just in the formula retail context but in other contexts as well having nothing to do with formula retail, uh, Well, I, I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had with project sponsors for uh, projects that are or for retail establishments that for whatever reason need a conditional use that are not formula retail, who uh, are, that are not controversial that I, I believe that will have broad community support. And the idea of going through uh, a six or eight or ten month process or if they're super, super, super lucky and lightning strikes, they'll get through it in four or five months, um, that that is very challenging, especially for smaller businesses and having to carry rent for all those months. Uh, is uh, is daunting and sometimes dissuades them entirely. And so I've heard from a a lot, you know, businesses that say we have no problem going through a conditional use process or uh, doing outreach to the community and going to the commission and making our case for why our permit should be granted. But we have a problem with it taking so long. And part of that is because of under-resourcing in the planning department. Because we have created a lot of CU's over the years and the more CU's we create, the more of a workload we put on planning staff and so it ends up bogging everything down. And so we have to figure out a way, going beyond formula retail, to fix the conditional use process so that the process itself does not dissuade uh, anyone. Uh, and so that is sort of an overarching uh, issue and I don't pretend to have all the answers uh, to that but I am happy to hear that Supervisor Marr and I agree is supportive of especially for the smaller formula retail, uh, um, you know, for the, for the books, inks of the world and the Phil's coffees and these sort of local businesses that happen to trigger formula retail trying to give them a faster uh, process uh, so that, uh, you know, we treat everyone uh, fairly. Um, so I also am supportive of uh, what's moving forward today and I'm glad that Supervisor Maher has found a way to, to meld the, the two versions. I do have a few additional amendments that I'm going to offer at the end. One of them is uh, the legislation, I believe, inadvertently uh, wipes out uh, some controls on financial services in the Castro Neighborhood Commercial District, the Upper Market Neighborhood Commercial Transit District, and the 24th Street, Noe Valley Neighborhood Commercial District. Uh, it, uh, con- those Financial services in those three districts have uh, required a conditional use for, uh, for a number of years, uh, and I think the legislation, I don't know, inadvertently or otherwise, uh, it, it, it wipes them out. Um, I'm, I'm going to make an amendment to, to reinstate them to make sure that they stay in place, and so uh, I'll read that amendment uh, at the end. Um, I also would like to make a um, – the, the legislation currently has no grandfathering – um, provisions. So if uh, someone uh, submitted an application um, a year ago and is three days away today from getting their uh, permit, uh, they would have to start over with a conditional use. And uh, I don't think that that is uh, particularly fair. And so I'll be offering an amendment uh, uh, that any permit application that's been filed uh, as of this past Friday um would be uh, grant that would not otherwise uh, uh be qualified under the any expansion and this legislation would be um uh, grandfathered in. Uh and then uh I also uh there are a few amendments um that I that would require a re-referral to planning to the planning commission, and I, I do not want to trigger a re-referral to planning. And so, I'm going to request that at the end of the hearing that we duplicate the file so that we can move forward with the legislation, make a few amendments, that then gets re-referred to the planning commission, and we can go through a whole process there. Uh, and that would be to do uh, two things. Uh, first, uh, I had uh, I have we have interim controls in place in the Castro Street neighborhood commercial district uh, to try to prevent gaming uh, of the formula retail system. We had a project recently where they tried to change their name to pretend that they weren't formula retail after they had been determined to be formula retail. We put in place interim controls. Um, We want to make those uh, permanent. And also, apropos of what uh, Supervisor Mar mentioned regarding the second floor, um, there are certain kinds of uses, in my view, that even though we'll consider them uh, formula retail, potentially on the ground floor, should not be considered formula retail if they are on the second floor, specifically financial services, limited financial services, and personal services. And we had this discussion, colleagues, you may recall, when uh, the bank legislation, making banks formula retail were at this committee. Um, For those kinds of uh, more office kinds of uses or gyms or whatever it might be, um, there's an argument that they make sense on the second uh, floor. And so if you have, for example, a financial service uh, business uh, that uh, wants to go in and they have a choice between being formula retail and getting a conditional use for a ground floor or they can just go on to the second floor, we should be encouraging them to go onto the second floor. And so in this duplicated version, uh, I'd like to include an, amend- an amendment um, stating that they would not be formula retail if they're on the second floor. Uh, and so I'll do that at the end. And again, I wanna thank you Supervisor Marr for your work on this issue.
10: Yeah, I forgot to mention too, and I, I thank uh, Victoria Long, um, Andrea, Ruiz Esquire and others from the City Attorney's Office for their hard work on this as well. And I have a minor amendment to add to read into the record at the end as well. And I neglected to mention that besides the strong neighborhood and small business coalition, um, I wanted to thank the Chamber of Commerce and others for meeting with my office and giving great recommendations as well that we did our best to integrate into the legislation as well. So, um, um, okay. Chair Wiener, can yeah. we have um, Kanishka Burns from Planning? Yep. Oh, but yeah, I, maybe Supervisor Cohen has something to add. Um,
0: Rosie Yeah,
6: I actually do just have a couple of remarks. Just want to say, um, just acknowledge the work that the Planning Department, the Planning Commission, um, and Supervisor Mars coming together for a good solid piece of legislation. I also wanted just to also um, give voice to the fact that there are some neighborhoods such as the, many of the ones that I represent that would welcome some formula retail and that would um, depend on the large uh, name recognition and brand recognition to increase foot traffic to support the smaller um, the smaller uh, mom and pop businesses that already exist on these major corridors. So. My, my position when it comes to formula retailers really has been very nuanced. I'm very cautious and I don't want to see a cookie cutter approach for the entire for the entire city and that I think that we need to um, take into consideration that each district, each different neighbor, each neighbor has a very unique feel feel to it that uh, should be representative. So, with that said, I am supportive of the amendments that are being proposed here today. And again, want to compliment you on coming together on that. We Thank can go you. to the planning department.
10: Yeah, so we have Anne Marie Rogers and Kanishka Burns. Mm-hmm.
17: Thank you very much, supervisors. Anne Marie Rogers, senior policy advisor for the planning department, and uh, we're thrilled to be here today. This committee is considering the first comprehensive update to formula retail since it began 10 years ago, as the supervisor said, in Cole and Hayes Valley. These controls have been expanded to all neighboring commercial districts by the voters' ballot in uh, 2008. And as we all know, they have been incrementally adjusted many, many times thereafter. Last summer alone, there were five ordinances that would adjust the controls each in a slightly different way. And so in July of last year, the Planning Commission passed a resolution urging further study of the issue. A little later in July, Supervisor Maher introduced an ordinance seeking the first citywide changes. And on behalf of the Commission, I wish to deeply thank both the Supervisor and the members of the Board who largely did wait on these larger citywide issues until the Commission concluded their look. Uh, The Commission's examination benefited from both a public process and a technical exploration with an economic consultant. This level of consideration and study is important. San Francisco is on the leading edge in formula retail regulation. While we were not the first to regulate it, we are by far the largest city that regulates formula retail. And other cities are watching. Cities as diverse as New Orleans and the East Village in Manhattan are now looking towards us for leadership on this issue. And part of our leadership is our studied approach to the topic. Through study and dialogue, most of the issues have been resolved. Here's a bit about the Commission's journey and the process they pursued. I won't read the slide, but as you can see, the Commission took thorough ownership of the process and heard for themselves much of the public testimony. The Commissioners participated in stakeholder meetings and had six hearings. And with benefit of this process, you have the Commission's draft ordinance, uh, with today's amendments that Supervisor Marr just summarized. As part of our presentation, we'll review what we learned during that year of study and the difference between the Commission's recommendation and Marr's proposal as described moments ago. But first, to do that, I'd like to turn it over to Project Manager Kanishka Burns. Good
18: afternoon, Chair Weiner and Supervisors. I'm Kanishka Burns, Planning Department <laughs> staff. I'm going to take you through the highlights of the formula retail study and compare and contrast the Planning Commission recommendations to Supervisor Maher's current proposal. Um, First, let's talk about some highlights from our year-long study, which we conducted in partnership with OEWD. Before we started our study, we didn't even know how much retail existed in San Francisco. Our study found that formula retail accounts for approximately 12% of all city retailers compared to the national rate of 32%. (coughs) Formula Retail is most highly concentrated in places that do not have controls in place and in neighborhood commercial shopping centers. In areas without controls, Formula Retail accounts for 25% of retail establishments compared to 10% of retail in areas with controls. Formula Retail occupies an estimated 31% of the city's retail square footage. As you can imagine, it's most highly concentrated in downtown, Soma and the Northeastern waterfront where new Formula Retail is permitted without a CU. The prevalence of formula retail varies significantly by business type. 84% of financial services are formula retail compared to 11% of all restaurants. Formula retail has a role to play in our neighborhoods, but also comes with some potential drawbacks. Our proposal is designed to balance the benefits and drawbacks to provide the greatest public good. A concern we often hear is that formula retailers drive commercial rents up. We found that formula retail CU activity is strongly correlated with the larger economic cycles with most of the applications occurring before or after the recession. Formula retailers often have the resources to improve storefronts with challenging physical conditions and can serve as anchors in revitalizing neighborhoods. However, they can also be challenging to involve in merchant and community organizing and outreach. These factors are important to remember as we consider neighborhoods that are in need of investment and revitalization. Both proposals share some commonalities of increased rigor that would be implemented regardless of which proposal is adopted. The Code currently sets these five criteria and directs the Commission to develop and adopt guidelines for reviewing them. Both proposals respond to code requirements by incorporating the Commission's new policy document. We have a Commission Guide for Formula Retail, which I have copies for you as well. First, it strengthens the existing conditional use review process by providing guidance to staff and the public on how formula retail applications will be evaluated. And second, it provides performance-based design guidelines to ensure that approved projects are aesthetically compatible with the neighborhood. The Commission Guide will provide additional guidance to staff looking at the criteria as it applies to concentration, characterization, and context of a district. Evaluations will include discussions of massing, use size, retail and demographic trends, and any unique characteristics. The second component of the Commission Guide provides the performance-based design review guidelines. These guidelines cover signage, which should be minimized, and storefront transparency, which should be maximized. It will also cover storefront design, which should be contextual and compatible, and it would establish pedestrian-friendly design guidelines. The Commission Guide includes elements that are intended to ensure a consistent and thorough analysis of the neighborhood where the formula retail is proposed so that the Commission may properly evaluate if the new formula retail would be necessary or desirable. These elements include holistic evaluation of the district and the vicinity, performance based design review guidelines, a definition of daily needs serving uses, and articulates methodology for calculating concentration and use mixes. Both proposals include adoption of permanent controls on Central Market, codifying Supervisor Kim's interim formula retail controls for uses facing Market Street. This is the first application of formula retail controls on downtown zoning districts. The Commission thought this to be appropriate as Market Street is the city's premier street and they believe it should retain a unique San Francisco character. Since 2011, there have been over 5,500 units in development and 40 development projects in the pipeline. With this intense level of development on the horizon, this is the ideal time to apply formula retail controls and consciously guide the development of central market's character. Again, on behalf of the Commission, staff appreciates the close coordination with Supervisor Marr. The remaining differences are few and can be quickly described. This is a comparison of the two proposals. The number. The Planning Commission recommends changing the threshold to 19 locations while the Supervisor would keep the number at 11. Both would count international locations towards the threshold. The Commission would keep the noticing as it currently is, consistent with all CUs. Supervisor Marr would expand the formula retail CU notice to 30 days. Uh, The Commission ties the report requirements for the economic impact study to our existing large-scale retail CU process, while Supervisor Marr's proposal includes uh, the threshold of 20,000 square feet. We'll delve deeper into these differences in a few moments. For upper market, the commission currently has a policy requiring staff disapproval for new formula retail if the concentration of existing formula retail is at 20% or above. The supervisor would codify this requirement for the upper market NCT only. The commission policy is already being implemented and they don't believe it is appropriate to codify a mandatory staff recommendation without regard to factors beyond the quantitative threshold. While both proposals would now have the same content for an economic study, there are differences about when a proposed store should be required to do the study. The last four elements are now aligned as described by Supervisor Mar today. Just to give you an idea of the types of businesses that we're both proposing to regulate as formula retail, fringe financial, which are check cashing establishments, tobacco paraphernalia and massage, these uses are generally considered nuisance uses, and we don't anticipate seeing many formula retail CU's for these. We're both also proposing to regulate limited financial, which are ATMs located at the street front, and personal services, including gyms, instructional services, and hair and nail salons. The Commission proposal would also include business and professional services, like H&R Block, the UPS Store, Coldwell Banker, and State Farm, which are not being included in the proposal. The supervisor described today. And now the economic impact study. Our economics consultants reviewed the pending economic impact study proposals and provided feedback on best practices. First, the size of the business. A business with fewer than 100,000 square feet is unlikely to have a significant measurable citywide impact. Smaller retail projects can be measured in the three ways proposed by the commission and the supervisor, with the caveat that the impact on the city's public revenue will be harder to reliably predict with smaller stores. A leakage study, which is an unmet demand for a proposed business, can be estimated, but the amount of demand a new business will capture cannot be predicted. This is why opening a new business is a gamble. Studies of these impacts should be qualitative as well as quantitative. Um, With the employment analysis, since the impact on existing stores cannot be predicted, the proposed study would discuss added employment and whether the new store would pay employees a living wage. The cost for all of this is significant, estimated to be between twenty dollars and $30,000. A final word on economic impact studies. While they do provide a value to staff and decision makers, they are both an art and a science. As such, their importance should not be overvalued nor replace community impact. Numbers can be manipulated and become less reliable when the threshold is lowered. We urge policymakers to keep in mind that the existing CU process requires review of quantitative and qualitative measures, not overly dependent on economic studies. With an idea of what constitutes best practices, let's dive into the differences between the two economic impact requirements, which really hinges on the threshold for requiring the report. Under today's controls, the code requires that CU's for large retail uses consider parking, active street frontage, traffic impacts, and some employment-related impacts. The Commission proposed requiring additional economic impact studies for large-scale retail uses over 50,000 square feet in size in most districts, whether or not there are formula retail use and exempted grocery stores from this requirement. Both proposals would require three new studies with a variable trade area to be determined by the use. The three studies include the store's new employment numbers and living wage considerations, itemization of new public revenue and public service needs created, and provide both a quantitative and qualitative leakage study to help decision makers understand both unmet demand and how this may affect the neighborhood. Supervisor Mars' proposal requires these studies at a lower threshold of 20,000 square feet and exempts grocery stores. Requiring the EIS at an even smaller scale of business will essentially require an entirely new layer of process and costs for new uses, similar to how new construction projects go through significant environmental review. It's important to remember that the Commission's discretionary review of formula retail is largely working today. Under the package before this committee, qualitative impacts, which may be the most important factor, would already be assessed. The Formula Retail CU will include consideration of the existing vacancy rates within the district, the availability of similar retail uses, the existing mix of neighborhood serving retail versus city serving uses. Given the threshold number of 20,000 square feet Supervisor Maher described today, based on a sampling of over 70 cases since 2005, approximately 10 percent of past Formula Retail CU applications would have been subject to the Economic Impact Study requirement. Thank you for your time and attention. On behalf of the department, we'd like to, again, thank Supervisor Marr and the members of the board for taking the time to allow us uh, a thoughtful update to San Francisco's formula retail controls. We're happy to answer questions.
0: Thank you. Okay, um, Supervisor Marr, are there any additional presentations or should we move to public comment? We should move to public comment. Okay, uh, so we will now open public comment. Public comment will be two minutes. I will call uh, a group of cards at the time. I'm gonna ask that people um, only speak once I've called uh, your uh, card. Uh, and uh, we went through this with short-term rentals and uh, it's, always, it's, it's always nice when people just wait until we call your card. So we thank you for your patience. Uh, Dee Workman, uh, Paul Weber, uh, Samantha Higgins, uh, Mika Brown, uh, Pierce, no last name, uh, Jasmine Gregory, Connie Ford, Michelle Lim, Ann Natunowitz, Vicki Sadowski, and Paul Wormer.
19: Thank you. Good afternoon, Supervisors. I'm Dede Workman from the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, first of all, I want to thank all of you who worked on um, putting together these two very complex pieces of, of uh, legislation together into one. I know that took a tremendous amount of hard work uh, and give and take, and we recognize that. We really appreciate it. We haven't seen it, however. So I, don't, I know the devil's in the details, um, and I, I can only uh, respond to what I've heard today, but I haven't actually seen the legislation.
0: One, one moment. Sorry, um, could you stop the clock for a second? Uh, Ms. if I could just ask, sir, if people have side conversations, to take them outside uh, so that we can um, hear what the speakers have to say. Thank you.
19: I've lost a couple of seconds. I've just noticed, so I hope that you'll um, let me we'll, we'll give add them it back. back to me. Don't okay. Worry. Um, so we, I really like what we've heard today. Um, there's a lot of really good um, information here. A lot of good changes that um, I think we can support. Um, we. Um, really like taking the business and professional services out. I think that's a really good idea. both because I don't think it belonged there, but also we're so cognizant of how long it takes ECU permit processes to, you know, they're delayed and delayed, and if we add all these new uses in, they're just going to be delayed even further, and I think that was really the right thing to do. Um, We support only requiring the economic impact reports for parcels over 20,000 square feet. We recognize you guys were really far apart on that, 3,000 to 50,000. We think 20,000 square feet is really reasonable, and we do support that. Um, I think I heard, although I'm not sure, that it's still in there to have administrative review rather than a full formula retail CU for one formula retailer taking over another similar formula retailer that would expedite the, promise that, uh, um, the process, that would be great. Um, we would really like to see the threshold raised. I understand it, it's not going to be raised, so we really like what you have proposed to help expedite permits for small businesses. We would really like to work with you on that. Supervisor Weiner, we really appreciate what you've said about the uh, second floors. To- that's a great idea, totally totally behind that. Um, I think these are inspired ideas. I think they're very important. If we're not going to raise the threshold, we have to do something else for small businesses to help them get their permits. Um, and the, the Chamber would really, we hope that we'll be able to work with you, Supervisor Mar, with your group to study the subsidiary issue, it's difficult. But we think we have something we can bring to the table and we would like to work with you on that. So, again, thank you all for this, for this hard work. Uh, we appreciate it. And we would really like to get a copy of the
0: legislation. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And the, and the amendments will be uh, available to anyone who would like to uh, see them. Uh, next speaker. <laughs>
2: Good afternoon. My name is Paul Weber. (coughs) I'm here on behalf of Telegraph Field Dwellers. (coughs) Excuse me, I'm (coughs) getting over cold. Um, Thank you very much for all of your efforts in coalescing this whole project. Uh, We're we're quite happy with the uh, 11 still being the threshold, and uh, we would like to participate. And I'm sure other neighborhood associations would like to participate in the working group on the discussion of subsidiaries. And I would offered before, and I, I'm prepared to offer again, helping draft the issue. The staff had mentioned that it um, presented a complexity that staff wasn't sure they were able to deal with. And I'd offered to, and I, I'm, I'm still happy to participate. So as I say, Telegraph Hill dwellers would like to participate, and we, we think there'll be others who will want to participate as well. Um, I, I too haven't seen the legislation and I will try to get a copy today and go over it uh, quickly. A couple of the comments made about prospective legislation coming later, A couple, I just wanted to comment briefly. Uh, the approach of what I'll call second story units as a means of defining something as not a formula retail, I think conceptually is a good idea. Again. Uh, they, it depends on who gets into that category that m- may raise issues with uh, our group and maybe others. And thank the staff for getting that together so quickly, uh, and uh, we'll look forward to working with you further on it.
0: Thank you very much. And I totally agree that the categories matter. So next speaker.
20: Supervisor Mar Weiner, and Cohen, uh, thank you for your time today. My name is Samantha Higgins and I'm here representing the Golden Gate Restaurant Association uh, and I would like to express our thoughts on the proposed formula retail legislation. Um, We, along with the Chamber, support the threshold to be raised to 19. Um, I see that in one piece of legislation that's not uh, the reality. But I would definitely uh, like to open ourselves up to communicating on how we can help these businesses that fall in the in between from 11 to 19. Um, talking about the San Francisco Soup Company, Lee's Deli, businesses that are San Francisco based that formula retail is meant to protect. Uh, we wanna make sure that we can do all that we can to help these local San Francisco businesses not get lost with Starbucks and McDonald's and uh, businesses that formula retail really uh, entails. So with that, I would just like you to keep us in mind. I would also like to see the legislation. (laughs) Um, And thank you for your time.
0: Thank you. Next speaker.
21: Chair Weiner, Supervisors Cohen and Mar, um, Connie Ford from Jobs as Justice a Coalition celebrating our fourth year anniversary in a couple of weeks comprised of labor unions and community groups coming together to work together to um, continue the process of making San Francisco the city that we all know and love. We really appreciate, Supervisor Marr, your hard, hard work in this. We know that you also worked with a large coalition in this effort, and it takes a lot of stick to itness. and we appreciate the work, and we in Jobs with Justice support uh, this, this compromise legislation. Um, One of the things that we've been talking about a lot in jobs of justice has to do with that balance of um, honoring the the vital fabric of our city with the small businesses and um, the uniqueness that we have on every street that we live in, whether it's Fillmore, whether it's on Third Street, whether it's, it's Union Street, honoring that and wanting to keep that intact. But also, when we bring in formula retail, what happens to those jobs and those workers in that economy? So Jobs with Justice, as you might know, has been working really hard on this Worker Bill of Rights for formula retail in particular. We're excited to have it to be included in that expanded um, universe that this uh, initiative is talking about, but the Worker Bill of Rights will be talking about actually when these, these companies come in, that ensuring that they provide decent and good jobs for all because all of us in this room care about the jobs that will be um, available. To everyone, so along with our worker bill of rights and your new formula retail definition, it looks like it's going forward. We look forward to working with you in the future.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. Next speaker,
20: Chair Weiner, Supervisor Mars, Supervi- Supervisor Cohen. My name is Michelle Lim, also from Jobs with Justice, and um, we're here to support Supervisor Mars' um, ordinance and um, the updated language And in addition to what Connie said, we support workers' rights um, for formula retail that if the business wants to come into San Francisco, they should also have higher standards um, to protect San Franciscans who are working um, in these industries. So we just stand in support of legislation.
0: Thank you very much. Mr. Warmer.
14: Good afternoon again, supervisors. I must say it's extremely disappointing that I don't have to go through my long list of carefully crafted points. Uh, I'd really like to thank uh, Supervisor Moore and his office and planning staff for a really great job of outreach, listening, and crafting. I think what sounds like it's going to be a very good piece of legislation, and I look forward to reading it. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Next speaker.
1: Hi, good afternoon, I'm Karima Pierce. Um, I'm here for on behalf of myself and the youth. I feel like we need the commercial stores for the youth to build resumes, to have job experience, um, it's, hard, it's already hard enough for us to get jobs. So if we could keep the commercial stores that we have in San Francisco and even get some more so that we're out of trouble and that we could build our resumes and have careers somewhere else, um, I do appreciate it. So thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Next speaker.
22: Good afternoon, my name is Ann Natunowitz. I am a resident of San Francisco, District 8. I moved out here from Washington, D.C. about a year and a half ago. Prior to that, I was in economic development consulting for a while, specifically advising on retail projects, uh, their feasibility, and advising either for or against them based on the impact on the community. I am here to oppose the uh, additional restrictions on formula retail because I don't think that they're good for the city. Uh, Respectfully to all of you, and everyone here who's lived in San Francisco a long time, we got off easy during the last recession. And uh, everything we're seeing now, um, with decisions being made at the top of the market to restrict the ability of landowner, of uh, landlords to rent spaces to businesses, it's just asking for trouble when things turn south. Uh, tomorrow there's a meeting in the Federal Reserve. There's a chance interest rates might be going up. That limits an ability to refinance. It limits the ability to take out lines of credit. If you're a landlord and you need to uh, borrow money to give a TI to a small tenant who can't get a tenant, can't pay for tenant allowance, you can't do it. It makes it that much harder. So, uh, and we're not even talking about uh, retail vacancies. All the research that we're seeing from 2015 store projections are that we've hit a plateau in the cycle. And retail um, store closings have actually starting to increase for the first time in several years. This is both small businesses as well as large businesses. This is, a, this is San Francisco won't be immune. It's, we're part of a global economy. So I would implore you as you think about this to keep in mind that everything you're doing here has a long-term impact for the city, and this doesn't look good. So thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Next speaker.
23: Hi, my name is Vicki Zadowski, and I'm here as a native San Franciscan. I grew up in the neighborhoods, went to school in the neighborhoods, have worked in the neighborhoods, and I'm very concerned about now uh, city officials and local government um, controlling uh, to this level as to what happens in those neighborhoods. Um, I believe this country was (laughs) developed on free markets, on competition and enterprise, Uh, I think the neighborhoods and the the people that own the real estate, uh, the people that work there and live there are the best uh, decision makers. As to that, um, those kind of decisions, every neighborhood is different. I believe a lot of the neighborhoods will be greatly harmed by the inability to have some of the stronger and so-called formula retail. I think the formula retail definition is too broad. There's a big difference between a store having 11 stores nationwide is, is nothing in comparison to um, you know, Target or Walgreens or 7-Eleven or anything like that. So I, I think it will be hard to manage. Um, I don't think the management of uh, rent control has been done very well. I think it's abused, and I think commercial rent control is what this is talking about. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Next speaker.
24: Good afternoon. My name is Carol Brownson. I'm a resident of San Francisco in search of my community. And I'm so pleased to hear that I don't have to give my speech about 11 is more than enough. That's a very nice piece of legislation I heard. So I have one remaining comment. I keep hearing the phrase, the community. And an hour ago, I heard that another coffee shop in our area is closing, and I think we'll get another $800 blouse shop. Now, coffee shops do promote community. Gradually, people get to know each other and talk about all sorts of things. I've never seen that kind of conversation in an $800 blouse shop, but in my area, if I need one, I can race right out and get it this afternoon. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Next speaker.
25: Good afternoon. Um, greetings. My name is Mika Brown. I am here today um, to represent a part of the community that, that most people tend to forget about. Um, I have an extensive background in working with um people in public health, and particularly uh, seniors, low-income seniors, um, that don't have um, and cannot afford um, long-term health insurance. So they implore people like me to take them out shopping, um, to come take care of them in their homes. Um, I like, I think, what I heard as far as um, the amendment to... Um, what we're talking about today. Um, just basically a reminder that wherever the large or small businesses are, that people like seniors um, need to be able to get to those businesses. Um, a big part of being a senior, even though I'm not one myself, is independence. So a lot of them like to go out and do their own shopping and run errands in the neighborhood. Um, they are also a part of the community. And to um, just... Um, continue to make sure that they um, are heard, and a big part of that is um, doing no harm and making sure that they can get to the businesses. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Next speaker.
25: Hi. My name is Jasmine Gregory. I feel as though commercial businesses are important for our community because they provide jobs for youth. I myself started working at 14. In the retail business during the school year and during summer, so I was able to save money. Um, So I think these commercial businesses are important for the community. Thank you. Um, They also offer us. They also help us become more independent, as especially for youth. They teach us responsibility, critical thinking, social responsibility, and help us grow and be more efficient with ourselves. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Can you come on up?
26: Good afternoon, Supervisors. My name is Janet Crane. I'm an architect with Freebairn, Smith & Crane. My I, firm is definitely sympathetic.
0: I don't I don't, I don't think I've called your name yet. Unless I... Oh, I, I just okay. gave a card. Oh yeah, we're, we're calling people in batches. So I'm, I'm sorry, but we'll, we'll call you shortly. Um, the only, I think the only two I have that I haven't testified are. Uh, did Vicki Zadovsky testify? Yeah. Or, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, my apologies. And then Pierce? Pierce, no last name? Oh, you went. Uh, my apologies. I, I missed your name before. Okay, so I'm going to call the next batch of cards now because I think we've gone through everyone. Um, Carol Brownson, uh, uh, Jefferson um, uh, McCarley, Natalie Mattei yeah. Sarah Brett, I believe, Uh, Pamela Mendelson, Susan Jordan, Hans Hansen, Matthew Holmes, Samantha Zeger, Jay Fandel, Emerson Chin, Mei Ju, and Ann Yue, (coughs) and Xin Yi Lei and Lily Lee, and Stephen Cornell. Uh, I have more more to go, yeah. So of the names I just called, it, you do have to go in the order I called, so you can come on up.
27: Good afternoon, Stephen Cornell with the Polk Street Merchants and the Small Business Network. And I also have a, I've had a business that has gone through a CU. My CU, nobody opposed. The the planning department had an approval for it. Everything went perfect, and it took three months, yeah, three and a half months to get through, with everybody loving it. It's a long process, costly, not only to my business, but to my landlord also and the neighborhood with an empty storefront. It, so we really want to emphasize the idea of let's get this CU process under control. It's not fair to anybody, big, big businesses, small businesses, landlords, or anybody. Um, when you talked about changing the thresholds of twenty from 50,000 down to, or to have it 3,000, um, 50,000, 20,000 still is a large business. We took a little mental um, walk through a couple of neighborhoods, most businesses are way under 10,000 square feet. The average Walgreens store in San Francisco is about 8,000 square foot, to give you an idea. So maybe something in the neighborhood of 10,000 square foot would be more reasonable in some neighborhoods. The other thing I'd like to mention is We had two pieces of legislation today. It's now been combined to one piece of legislation, and there's nothing written on it. It's very hard to comment on all the details. And, of course, the devil is in the details for us to speak on something like that, and this is our only opportunity. It would be nice if we could have something earlier, even though things are being moved around. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
0: Next speaker.
28: Hello, good afternoon. My name is Sinile. I live in the Chinatown. Um I would like to have like this uh one stop store in my neighbor neighborhood. Uh, because um my uh I'm not I don't have a car, so uh when I go out to buy something, every time I need to hold a hairy thing and take a long time to go home. So it's um it's convenient and, and comfortable for me. Yeah, thank you. Thank
0: you, thank you very much. Next speaker.
29: Um, thank you for supervisor, uh, listen to our voice. Uh, my name's Mei Jiu, I'm here as a uh, interpreter for my friend Lily, she live in Chinatown. And then her, um, my name is Lily.
0: And you'll have uh, double the time because of the interpretation.
29: Okay. So I just, uh, yes, yeah, she said uh, she um, have a small business in Chinatown, and then um, she doesn't have a car. She always walking to shopping, and also um, she wants to have a, a large. Uh, retail store like Safeway closer to Chinatown so make it convenient for her uh, go shopping uh, also it would be very convenient for the elderly live in Chinatown so also helping the people around her too. Thank you for listening. Thank you.
0: Okay, thank you very much.
29: Thank you. Next speaker. I live in Daly City, and so um, Daly City. I believe that there's a lot of spaces to build big store, and also, um, you know, uh, people live in Daly City. uh, More people own a car in Daly City, so that way, um, it would be nice to have a big supermarket and also some other kind of retail store in in uh, Daly City too, to make the city more uh, prosperity and more people have a job and um, so it's also convenient for the people who live in Dady City.
28: Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Next speaker.
28: Supervisor, my name is Anne Yui. I enjoy and appreciate the convenience of shopping in a one-stop big store where there are Plenty of items and more choices. People will like to spend more money there and buy a lot of different products. Big stores have more resources to maintain their space in a way that is convenient and healthy and comfortable, especially for senior and mothers with babies. A big store provides the city with a bigger tech base and more employment opportunities. I would like to see a large department local labor store, which are easy to go to. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Mr. McCarley.
30: Good afternoon. If I had more time, I'd probably spend more time thanking you for all the work that you've done on this. Uh, it's going to be a huge help and I think we're moving in the right direction. My name is Jefferson McCarley. I'm a merchant in the Valencia corridor and I am the Vice President of the Valencia Merchants Association. Um, we've been ground zero for uh, in this battle against formula retail for the past uh, year or so. We're not really happy about the increase to 19. Um, it sounds a lot like a chain store. Um, when we have 19 stores. But our biggest concern, what I want to share with you is, uh, and I haven't heard any mention of it today, is the ambiguity around parent companies. Um, This is really concerning for us. If Jack Spade has 10 stores and Kate Spade has 200 stores and the owner of Kate Spade has, Fifth and Pacific has 500 stores, um, it sounds like we haven't made any progress in, in that area and that we will have to leave our businesses, as I've done now, um, to fight this battle, to spend countless hours and thousands of dollars to keep our neighborhood free of chain stores. So we would love to see some language that specifies that cha- that parent companies do count. Um, this is the first I've heard of the second floor uh, issue and I imagine that um, some of the merchants will be concerned about uh, chain stores going in on the second floor. Um, I guess I, I need more details, but um, It's concerning to think that a Starbucks could go over a ritual coffee.
0: Just to to be clear, the proposal is about financial services, personal services, limited financial services, so it's not retail, it's not beyond that. But in any event, this will go back to the Planning Commission, and there will be a full process around it.
10: Okay, I feel a little
0: better. Thank you. Yeah, thanks.
10: Mr. McCauley, I just wanted to say that my office will be convening a working group on that issue of subsidiaries from the Jack Spade issue to others, and I know a lot of people have an interest in that, but we'll be doing our best to work with the city attorney's office as well to make sure that we're um, as quickly as possible following up on that issue. It's a challenge for the planning department staff in, in particular, but we'll hopefully put, put our heads together to come up with some concrete proposal to, to deal with subsidiaries, which I agree with you is a key issue.
30: Thanks. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Next speaker.
7: Good afternoon. I'm Natalie Matey, Real Estate Manager with Safeway, and I'd like to thank everybody that's been involved in pulling all of this together as there have been um, multiple changes, and I haven't seen the final, the draft, and there are amendments on the floor. I just wanted to call two items to everyone's attention for perhaps more discussion. One is on the personal services. Glad to hear there's consideration for them being on the second floor. There are instances in which these services could possibly be uh, in basements or next to the grocery store, freestanding, uh, particularly gyms at Petraeus center, center. There's a very successful 24 hour that I guess would be considered the basement. Uh, most of these personal services are very synergistic to the grocery store, so we'd like to welcome them whenever possible. Secondly is the item regarding the 20% uh, concentration in upper market and its codification. Uh, our specific concern is if there's a case where uh, pertaining, pertaining Safeway at Upper Market, at Market and Church. If uh, if we go to do something there, it's supported by the neighborhood. It's supported by staff. We've done all of the research. The automatic disapproval casts a cloud over it. So I know there have been specific examples of Seize Candy going through and getting approved and then Starbucks and Chipotle late not. Uh, but I think those, all three of those items, uh, the discussion was very firm going into it. Uh, if, if there's... More of a, a gray area. I don't know that we've worked through those details. Thank you for your consideration.
0: Thank you very much. Next speaker.
31: Hi, I'm Matt Holmes of Retail West, San Francisco. Um, I've brought this up before, but I'm going to say it again. The greatest threat to retail and small businesses is e commerce. And um, in 2004, when this legislation began, uh, internet sales, were $67 billion in retail sales in 2004. This year, or last year, 211000000000 billion. They're trending up by 15 to 20% a year. If you strip away auto sales out of retail sales, which is calculated, a lot of people are saying now that internet sales are actually accounting for 30% of retail sales. So looking ahead in the headwinds, a lot of people are saying in 2018, even with a robust economy, we're going to be looking at 25 to 30% of the United States retail stores closing anyway, due to the inter- internet. I'm, I'm concerned and opposed to any further legislation that's going to make it difficult to, to fill vacancies. And I know everybody's concerned about character of a neighborhood. I see no character in, in vacant storefronts. And I know, you know, if you look at it in a microcosm, Hayes Valley and North Beach. Hayes Valley, total chain restrictions, rising rents. Chains have nothing to do with it. Look at North Beach. Total chain restrictions, empty storefronts, lack of character, and a lot of opportunities. I think this city is way too focused on the opposition. And we're coddling internet and e-commerce companies all the time in this city.
0: Thank you. I have a report, too, I'd like you guys to look at. Great. And and I'm sorry, can you say your name over time? Matthew Holmes, Retail West. Thank you. Next speaker.
3: Hi.
6: My name is Sarah, but I'm sorry, Sarah, just, just to interrupt second. you for a second. Matthew Holmes, what is Retail West? We're a retail firm based in San Francisco. A retail firm based in San Francisco. Thank we you. We invest in own retail businesses and do brokerage for all, all retail businesses. Okay. Thank you. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No worries.
0: We'll reset your time. No
6: worries.
32: Um. I'm Sarah Brett. I live and work um, in San Francisco. I do um, uh, retail leasing for tenants here in San Francisco. We represent a number of tenants, such as Rome Burger, Aldia Home, Just Jules, Verve Coffee. Um, And I just wanted to point out three quick points on a tenant perspective. My tenants couldn't be here today because they are working. Um, number one I met with a tenant on 16th street I'm not going to um, name his name but he is a local tenant and he was still talking about the whole Jack Spade situation on 16th street and I would just like um, everyone to know that they have no offers on the space and both storefronts are still vacant and he feels that he's struggling in business because of it Um, Number two, I have some tenants on Hayes Valley um, in Hayes Valley that want to sell their lease. Um, They have asked me to go out to formula retail tenants um, to... um, lease their space and I've told them that this is not possible because of the restrictions and finally in touring some of the local tenants they do want to go on streets such as Chestnut and Union Street because they want to be next to Mac Apple Sephora and that's all thanks
0: thank you very much next speaker
33: Hi. I'm Samantha Zieger. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm born and raised in San Francisco. I also represent both landlords and tenants, local, regional, and national um, in the area. And a lot of our clients have, you know, been fluctuating businesses throughout the years. And most of them we've seen close are not because of formula retail operator moved in next door but because of medical issues family issues and most devastatingly the circumstances around the economic downturn and changes in social and technological Um, and these downturn and changes have created a lot of instability in our neighborhood retail creating large vacancies reduced foot traffic and it's really in our best interest to have a healthy mix of national and local uh, retailers as the national create national chains create stability in these tough times because they bring the foot traffic and that drives business to the smaller local retailers. And it's, you know, important to note that if people were flocking to these coffee shops, they wouldn't be closing because they would be doing enough business to support. we're also experiencing a large surge in the population with all this new residential development. And unfortunately, a lot of the vacancies in the mid market area and upper market areas or are where this new growth is taking place. So we just, you know, really want to point out that it's expensive to build out these spaces, it's expensive to rent, and this mix would be really healthy for the neighborhoods. And create jobs in areas where we really need them so we can afford to live in all these new high rises that are being built.
0: Thank you very much. You. Next speaker, Ms. Mendelson.
34: Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Pamela Mendelson, and I've lived in San Francisco since 1976. You cannot artificially protect locals by keeping international brands out of San Francisco. Consumers ultimately make a decision where they're going to shop. You're going to force people to shop in other cities and on the Internet. Retail real estate is my business. I speak with retailers 24-7 and work with local moms and pops to international tenants. I'm well known in many neighborhoods by tenants. I've been doing this a long time, and I understand retail and retail trends as well as anyone in this room. For anyone that thinks the CUP process is a streamlined process, they're wrong. And anyone that thinks international retailers would be willing to go through this process, you're also wrong. The process is very expensive, it's time consuming, and there's no guarantees for anyone. Anyone that thinks that there's enough qualified moms and pops to fill the neighborhoods doesn't understand retailer retail trends. The whole process is backwards. I'm not sure how anyone that has 11 stores in another country is not unique to San Francisco. I'm struggling to find logic in the, in the restriction of international brands. Just within the last few be- weeks, the following tenants were advised to bypass San Francisco by consultants because of our pending international rules. Because it's costly and it's Whoa. uncertain. Toms, Moleskin. Tashin, Bonobos, Malia Mills, and Fall Raven. None are exactly household names in San Francisco, California, or the U.S. Yet young people that know these brands would shop in these stores. They're small stores and a fraction of the size of Uniglo. Uniglo would never consider opening in one of our small neighborhoods. I would love to make if I have the time, um, an example of a situation on Fillmore Street where there was a local tenant who was bought out by what was considered to be an international tenant. There was a lot of information that came out in the press that was incorrect. I was intimately involved in the deal. There was a failing mom and pop on the corner of Fillmore in California. He tried to sell his business for half a million dollars. It all went in his pocket, not the landlord's pocket and not the incoming tenant. He was behind in his rent. The landlord had already given him a rent reduction. He had multiple violations on his building. In fact, there's a lawsuit going on now for someone who fell down the stairs, hit his head on an exposed beam, headed to an illegal bathroom. The tenant paid the money, they went through the full CUP process. It took over six months. They spend hundreds of thousands of dollars going through the process. They paid almost a year's rent during the process. They then invested a million dollars into the space. It's a beautiful space. The end product doesn't matter. What matters is this tenant is telling everyone not to come to San Francisco, that they will never do enough sales here to recoup the costs of going through this process. I'm just afraid we're going to drive our customers, our consumers, and these tenants to another city. I don't think that they're going to come to San Francisco, and I'm worried about our city. I'm going to leave some pictures of the sort of before and after for you, of what it looked like before and after. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Speaker.
35: My name is Hans Hansen. I'm president of Starboard Commercial Real Estate and we specialize in small independent firms. I'm also a local San Franciscan born and raised in the Sunset District and I'm now old enough to remember when there was five grocery stores within three blocks between 32nd and 28th Avenue. Things have changed in the in the Taraval Street area. I represent uh, several buildings right now in the Taraval area that has been vacant now for two or three years. I've also represented tenants that have been excited about potentially going there, but only to be told that the time frame necessary to get approvals takes six to nine months on average. The biggest issue facing retailers today is actually not the rent. It's the cost to actually build out the store and to conduct business there. Some of the things that are not been brought up in this meeting is the, the issues of added costs related to a lot of regulatory issues that have occurred. Number one, ADA compliance. Today, if you take a 1,500-square-foot store in order to build a bathroom, you're talking about $12,000. To put in flooring and lighting in a building, on average, is somewhere in the neighborhood of between $60 and $100 a square foot. These are real numbers that you can't get by. You add that on to a six- to nine-month period of time in order to get approvals, you have a landlord that is not getting rent, and what you have is you have a problem where nobody wants to take the risk. The other big issue is, is foot traffic. If you look at what's going on on Terreville Street right now, it's very similar to what you see in Union Street actually during the middle of the day. There's no traffic there. And if you don't have any traffic, you don't have any customers. What drives traffic is formula retail. If you look what happened in West Porto when Starbucks went into an old Century 21 in the middle of West Porto, it created vibrancy and excitement in the neighborhood and therefore helped all the other retailers. The issue of formula retail and restrictions to 11 stores makes no sense to me at all because the reality is, is in order for a retailer to make it today against e-commerce, you have to have volume buying. If you don't, you have to charge $800, as that lady said, for a blouse. It does not work. I'm totally against formula retail restrictions at all. Let free market handle the decisions of who should make it or not.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, Before we call the next cards, let me just see, uh, and I apologize if I just missed your name and you've already testified, Carol Brownson. Susan Jordan, Jay Fandel, Emerson Chin. Are, are any of those people here and have not testified? Um, okay, uh, so I'll call the final batch of cards. Henry Karnilowicz, uh, Janet Crane, Andy Blue, Douglas Jones, Frederick Roertz, I believe. My apologies, Robert. Uh, Kristen Grebel, Wendy Moog, Peter Cohen and Richard Au, and those are all the cards I have. We have one more card, I'll read that one too. Oh, Eileen Dick. Um, okay, Mr. Kornelowitz.
36: Good afternoon, Supervisor, Senator President of the San Francisco Council District Merchant Associations. Um, in most of the areas, like particularly Fillmore, Hayes Valley, uh, and uh, a number of other ones who do, want to keep the formula retail uh, in place. As uh, uh, Supervisor Wiener said before, I think what's really broken is the, the CU. I think the CU itself is really all that bad, it's the time element that comes into it. You, to get a plan or today, it takes four to six months just to get a plan or Supervisor Wiener, it's not four months and you can get it done, not anymore. However, when it came to housing with the single law units, there's a plan and I assigned to that and they're getting that through, I believe, within about th- four weeks. That's how fast they can do it. That's what I've heard. So when you look at this whole process, I think that's what needs to be really tidied up. If we can make this process work faster, set aside a part of planning to do the CUs. The last thing I wanted to mention too is we need to go ahead and support a local Formula retailers like Phil's Coffee, uh, Book Sync, uh, the SF Soup Company. These folks are successful because they know what they're doing. They're good at what they're doing. And what they do is they also provide employment. So don't we want to help them? Don't we want to help them to move into another area if they can? I think it's really critical that we do that. So we should really support our small businesses that are born and raised over here. They're our kids. They're the ones who are making our community what they are. They're so special. We really need to look at that. So let's do something about the CU to, to make it, particularly those companies that are born and raised here. Thank you. Mr. Crane
26: Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Janet Crane uh, with Freeband Smith and Crane Architects. Um, our firm is sympathetic with the goals of formula retail, but any regulation that treats a store with 10 outlets the same as Starbucks has to have its uh, drawbacks. We typically work with tenants who are just over the edge of the 11 these days, somewhere between 11 and 20, and um, they're local people who've grown, they're a national company who wants to come into California, they're an international company who wants to try the West Coast names that most people would never have heard of. The process for these tenants is already excruciating, um, incredibly burdensome. CU's take months, there's a long appeal period after that, if all goes perfectly. Often these tenants have to pay rent in order to secure a space to go this during this period. And processing the CU just administratively outside of all of the costs of build out is many, many thousands and thousands of dollars. So tenants in these categories contribute greatly to the ambience and the variety of neighborhood shopping. They're not a disease or a plague on the area. So I strongly disagree with any change in the current formula retail regulations. And if the the sort of hysteria that drove this last round um, goes through, then I think it's absolutely essential to do something for the tenants in that next band to separate them from the Walgreens and the Starbucks which started all this. So I support the notion of having a streamlined process for tenants with, say, you know, 11 to 20 or something like that. It's really, really important. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much. Next speaker. Uh,
37: good afternoon. Uh, my name is Frederick Roberts. I live in uh, District 5, and uh, I'm in support of uh, national retail stores in, in my community. Because I think they create jobs, and uh I'm a senior, and uh, I'm on a fixed income, and it would be awfully difficult for me to be getting around to get my food and other necessities that I need, so I'm in support of uh national change because I think they they employ other people too and San Francisco needs an employment, especially in district five uh, on Fillmore because uh if it wasn't for like Safeway or national chains, I don't think there would be very much employment for people of color in uh, in the Fillmore District. So uh, I'm in I'm in in support of uh, national chains in this area, and I want to thank you very much.
0: Thank you very much for being here. Next speaker.
38: Good evening, Mr. Supervisor. My name is Douglas Jones, and I'm in support of the. Uh, the Walgreens and the Safeways and retail staying in the community because I'm a senior also. I'm on a fixed income and um, if it weren't for them, I wouldn't be able to get my medication or anything of that type. So, um, I support the retail to stay in the community, provide jobs and so forth. And, um, I don't have my family around that much, so, Sometimes I can't get to the store to get my medications and stuff. You know, I have a lot of medical problems, so I'm in support for the change, the details, to stay in the community so I can get up. And, I, you know, I, I, I like being independent, so, you know, with them being in the community, I can just help myself and, and, and go and take care of myself and, you know, so... Like I said, I'm support of the retail stand in the communities. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much. All right.
0: Next speaker, Mr. Blue.
39: Hi, supervisors. Um, my name's Andy Blue. I live uh, near the intersection of 16th and Dolores. In supervisors. Wieners District, District 8. Um, I'm here to support Supervisor Mars' legislation expanding formula retail controls. As a resident of the neighborhood and as someone who cherishes many of the things that make San Francisco a unique and beautiful city and as someone who believes SF has historically and should continue to play a leadership role in terms of creating more just, livable, and sustainable communities, I became very involved in our neighborhood's high-profile fight last year to stop uh, the Jack Spade store from opening on the 16th Street corridor. I learned uh, through working on this fight with neighbors, uh, merchants, and community activists just how deeply important SF's formula retail controls are to so many people in the city. Um, Many folks who love San Francisco know that few things can so quickly erode the character, cohesion, community, and culture of our neighborhoods uh, than the loss of our locally owned small businesses to the influx of corporate chain stores. I think the um, 11-store threshold is good, and uh, I believe it should remain part of the controls. Um, I also want to point out that in the case of Jack Spade, more important than store count was the issue of corporate ownership. Uh, I don't know anyone in my neighborhood who was fooled by Jack Spade's claim that it was a small independent business to which the city's formula retail controls did not apply. On the contrary, it was obvious to us that Jack Spade was just the men's line of Kate Spade, a corporate retail chain with more than 100 stores internationally. Um, To us, there was no ambiguity about whether or not Jack Spade was formula retail and therefore needed to face a conditional use hearing. However, in the case of Jack Spade, it was unclear to the planning department And um, it did not trigger a conditional use hearing, and that created the problem with the extended fight that we had. Um, Therefore, I just want to finish by saying that the work of the working group on this issue um, to address corporate ownership is very important, and I would love to help with that. Um, The store count threshold is meaningless if McDonald's can just alter their name, logo, and menu and open a store up on Valencia next week. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you. Next speaker, Smog.
40: Good afternoon, I'm Wendy Mogg. I'm a small business owner. I uh, co-own Sweet Inspiration that's in District 8. And I have to say that uh, in the time that I've been there, now three years, um, I've sort of seen all of these things unfold, been involved with the Starbucks fight, with the Chipotle fight, um, and uh, actually was involved in seeing C's come in and be approved through the process. So from where I sit as a small business uh, owner, the CU process is not broken. Um, We have an opportunity to have our voices heard. Uh, We have an opportunity to speak up in favor or against something, explain why, and the breaks are put on long enough for the community to be heard. I do hear that there are problems in the process that you need to clean up, but in terms of of how it affects me as a small business owner, um, I'd have to say that works. Um, The proposal, as I've seen it, I've been watching it go through the process, and all of the compromises seem very reasonable. I have to say you've done great work in pulling together all of the various um, questions and getting closer and sending out the three big questions, the the economic impact study, uh, what's the size for that? In San Francisco, we have a unique economy. We are a big city economy, big money, but we have a small footprint The size of the city means that big companies can come into small spaces and still create an imbalance within the community. If you come in with big dollars behind your name with a whole lot of other stores behind you, it necessarily makes it um, an unfair competition head to head. So I'd be interested in seeing how that goes through the process. And um, the additional question about the international, um, uh, not the international, I beg your pardon, the um, The subsidiaries. subsidiaries. Yes. So thank you very much for your work and I do hope that you'll prove it in its current state and continue studying.
0: Thank you very much. Next speaker.
41: Good afternoon, Supervisors. I'm a longtime San Francisco resident and I also work in the commercial real estate industry like some of my associates here on the retail side of things. Um, I just wanted to point out a couple uh, facts that we are aware of so far. The first is that the Office of the Controller uh, did their study which found that further restrictions on formula retail was not good for San Francisco's economy and then it would inordin- inordinately affect lower income residents and minorities. Uh, I would also like to point out that um, there's been talk about how this was a major community process, but I think that uh, community process was not quite as broad as, uh, uh, as it should have been. I think a lot of residents are not aware of the lack of choices uh, and the restrictions being put on their ability to shop where they want to shop. Uh, I think that most of the opposition is coming from small businesses that really would like to be protected and uh, do not want to have any competition from other retailers selling their product. Uh, or product that they 're currently selling, um, I also think that we need to remember that San Francisco already has roughly fifty percent uh, to one hundred percent less than most other large cities. Uh, we have currently have twelve percent of the retail as opposed to twenty to thirty percent. Lastly, uh, I really would like to comment on the economic impact study. I feel that the economic impact study for twenty thousand feet uh, is really problematic. We already have a very onerous approval process. I think large spaces uh, that tend to be real drivers for neighborhoods, the longer that they are vacant, the longer they are blighted, the more of an issue it becomes. There's already a limited amount of retailers who will take this space, and I think we need to work with both locals and nationals to facilitate them into these spaces more quickly than to further make the process more onerous than it already is. So thank you, and I'm for uh, no further restrictions to the form of the retail code as it is now. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Kruppel.
12: Supervisors, Kirsten Krable, San Francisco Beautiful. Uh, San Francisco's market has value because of its unique character and we're uh, excited to see that uh, these additional protections will be uh, instituted and and put into place to guide uh, planning staff and how better to protect the character and context of our neighborhoods. Uh, So thanks to the planning staff and thank you, Supervisor Mar. We're happy to see uh, signage uh, controls put in place, transparency, uh, activation for ground uh, floor retail. Um, all of those things are great, and when I hear people consistently in this public comment talk again and again about how uh, difficult and onerous it can be for uh, business owners to get their uh, conditional use permit through, uh, one thing that worked really well for us with billboards was adding uh, planning staff to uh, to see to enforcement and expediting permits. So if it takes four months to get somebody assigned to you, um, we might look as a city uh, to, to helping them out in that way. So thanks for your work, uh, and I support uh, these amendments to the to the, uh the regu- regulations. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you very much. Next speaker.
42: Good afternoon, Supervisors. Eileen, Dick, Frell, LeBron, and Martel. I'm actually representing Building Owners and Managers SF, Mr. Cleveland, my client is behind me. I want to pick up somewhat on what the prior two speakers said, but I do want to start with uh, saying I was brought into this process by BOMA uh, to participate in uh, first the study that was uh, funded and actually instigated by planning staff and can't thank planning staff enough again for taking on a a topic like this. You don't usually see this level of economic analysis of a land use regulation, but planning staff was very committed in light of the various proposals that had been put out by members of the board to really look at let's identify the problem. Let's get some kind of economic picture of the problem. Let's do what we can to economically assess it. And, and I think participating in those focus groups, for me at least, laid out clear some of the real problems that from the merchant side and the realtor side and really the neighborhood side where too much regulation, you know, we, we teeter this saw one way, puts pressure and then doesn't allow certain activity and certain, if you will, resurgence in neighborhoods to come forward. And at the same time, I want to tee off on, for Supervisor Weiner, your acknowledgement and other folks, the, the sheer backlog that planning has through no fault of their own and, and as much goodwill as Director Ram invests in hiring people you just can't move projects forward enough and I think there has to be and it sounds like there is some acknowledgement and maybe we take the working group model that Supervisor Mar has for the subsidiary and start looking at ways to have a working group to streamline the process in terms of the retail sector and I think that would be a good use of both. The mem- you know, the community resources you have ranging from the chamber to the realtors to the community groups to really sit down and try to work on ways to facilitate that and to work with, with Kanishka in particular. I don't mean to put more workload on your plate, but, again, you are the most knowledgeable, and I think that's where I think we can reach a balance so we, can, we don't have to end up in a situation where we have formula retail controls that don't really get us what we want at the end of the day. Thank you for your time.
0: Thank you. Mr. Cleveland. Thank
15: you, Supervisors, Ken Cleveland with the Building Owners and Managers Association. I followed this process uh, uh, in depth working with the Chamber of Commerce, and I appreciate the fact that you pulled together uh, two very different uh, pieces of legislation into one. Uh, however, <clears throat> I do think that there's that, that there were some concerns majorly that I'd like to bring up now. one um, as you mentioned earlier, I mean in my comments earlier, as, as Supervisor Cohen mentioned earlier. Every neighborhood is unique, and I don't think that that twenty percent rule that you were thinking about for open market should be extended. I think it's been taken out, and I applaud that. Uh, the planning department needs to have the flexibility. Supervisors and the community needs to have the flexibility to determine just what is what's needed in their own in their own neighborhoods. I also think that uh, you know we need to look at flexibility. The problem is. You know these kinds of restrictions. We've had we, we, you, the planning department came up with a great study. You see how well this current set of restrictions is working. Why do we make? Why do we need to make them more restrictive? Going worldwide is a real problem. Uh, our big concern, representing downtown property owners, is C3 creep. We see that making those per, those uh, interim controls on Market Street, mid-market, has a real stymie to the development of that area if you want to extend it for another 12 months on an interim basis do that and see what's happening but we have a great fear downtown that as more and more residents get you know and more and more residential development gets built in the downtown area we're going to see more and more restrictions on formative retail and we are very concerned about that thank you thank you mr cohen Good afternoon, Supervisors.
43: Peter Cohen, um, speaking today as, a, as a, just a citizen, upper market Castro. Uh, I was involved in uh, Gonzalez's original legislation uh, in 2004 so we're at a ten year anniversary mark and I think it's actually quite appropriate that there are some updates, some, t- some tweaks and some strengthening to the retail controls because it's actually been incredibly successful. With all the critiques about the CU process aside, Supervisor Weiner, for formula retail the CU process has worked excellently. It's done exactly what it's intended to do and I think we've seen for the most part good results from that. I also wanted to uh, uh, point out some data that we found back then which I think is probably still relevant today. That we have a unique situation in San Francisco which is why many of us are in San Francisco. And that is roughly about 90% of our retailers have five stores or less. Five stores or less. And probably about 80% of of our retailers are single store locations. Which means that the really, really fine fabric of San Francisco is the retail experience in our neighborhoods anyway. And that's what folks really want to retain. So going forward it's not uh, about planning San Francisco as though we're in any national retail market. We're in a San Francisco unique character of neighborhood retailing. Uh, And on that note though I would also be careful to think that anyone is necessarily demonizing formula retail. It's about a both and approach but it's about being very careful that there is an imbalanced playing field. When you have such a large number of very very small and localized businesses, they don't play in an even playing field with chain retailers. And so the scrutiny that we have in our process is, is quite successful. That said, the accommodation for these sort of mid-sized local chains of an expedited CU sounds like a good idea. And I, I would suggest seeing how that works out. Um, and if we get an employment analysis out of the impact, the economic study, I think that would be very helpful. We heard comments about employment in chain retail. I think we'll find out more what kind of real employment they offer. So again, good work. Thank you to Supervisor Maher and the other supervisors in the planning department at OEWD. I think you've got a good compromise.
0: Thank you, Mr. Al.
44: Supervisors, my name is Richard Al. I'm a resident of Chinatown. I support chain store going into Chinatown. I really know the workers in Chinatown on Stockton Street, Grand Avenue, Washington Street, Jackson Street, they not getting the minimum pay, and they pop most of them only getting half of what they supposed to be earned, what the law says, and the uh, employer do not honor overtime, do not give sick pay, do not give vacations. That is why I urge you to let the chain store. A big, big stock comes in so that the workers will get the pay. And the city do have a uh, enforcement agency. Uh, uh, <coughs> they call it the labor standards, but uh, they are understaffed and overworked. Now, most of the workers, I do interact with them. I drink coffee with them, I pay margin with them, I sit in the park with them, and they don't, very reluctant, they want to be the, um, uh, what you call it, uh, squealers, and they don't want to uh, put themselves out to uh, give evidence against the workers. So I urge you to make all these corrections, considerations. Thank you. Thank you very much. Is there any additional
0: public comment on these items, items three and four? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Supervisor Marr.
10: Yeah, thank you, everyone, for um, the testimony, the really thoughtful comments. Um, I wanted to say that um, I think this is a balanced approach as proposed by so many different people that are supportive of this and have put many Um, hours dozens of meetings and years into this process um, I think it's one of these um, pieces of legislation that took many people um, giving and taking as much as possible to come up with one proposal there's a couple of um, pieces that we will be following as were mentioned by others but I'll just say that leveling the playing field for the kind of balance in neighborhoods that many people talked about is critical Um, I think some like um, chain stores and formula retail stores, and in neighborhoods that really are food deserts, for example, um, there's a critical need for more um, types of stores, especially food retail, for example, and we took a lot of that into consideration, but for other neighborhoods like Hayes Valley, um, North Beach, and others, there's a strong sentiment within the communities of that unique character. Um, I think of the small business owners and others that have testified today, I think it's really clear that that they're not saying we don't want chain stores but um, a balance I think and at least more neighborhood notice and more neighborhood voice in the process I think um, the suggestions from the planning staff and and the Planning Commission I think have made this a much stronger piece of legislation um, I wanted to say I think it strikes a balance of that need for um, economic drivers but also um, preserving what makes San Francisco so special the unique character that small businesses are at the core of and I think the the data that Peter Cohen just raised at the last minute of how um, large in many ways the smaller um, sector non-chain stores are and the critical nature that they play in communities is so critical. I wanted to also just acknowledge that um, from my office's work um, we came from a pretty different position than we are right now with the amendments. And I know from the mayor's office and Office of Economic Development and the chamber kind of moving towards that. But I, I do feel that this is striking that kind of balance that um, it's, it's not the last word on chain stores and formula retail, but I think it's a really good um, place where the balance of preserving neighborhood character, but also kind of uh, a look at how um, chain stores and smaller businesses can um, both um, um um, coexist in the city to make the city a better place as well. I wanted to just also say that the amendments that I mentioned earlier, I wanted to add several others from the city attorney's recommendations. Um, the first one in the amended packets, and again, as Supervisor Weiner said, these will be made available to everyone. It's been up to the last minute that we've been working on many of these, um, so we'll do our best to have it cleaned up and available to everyone. But um, on page 8, Lines 3 to 4, there's an important amendment that I will read into the record. It's just from lines 3 to 4, we're striking um, this one um, phrase. It strikes the words "an analysis of whether the proposed project will result in a net increase or decrease in permanent employment in the impact area. So pay attention to that amendment. There's another amendment. Um, deleting sections 303.1 D in the last draft that was sent. So it's deleting the economic impact study reference. There's also it revises 31 or 303.1 E7 in the language and it renumbers the subsections of 303.1 to reflect the amendment. E will become D and and it continues from that. And I think those, um, Ms. Wong, I think those were the main um, cleanup language. Was there anything else um, from our city attorney, Victoria Wong, that we needed to add?
5: Victoria Wong, city attorney, no.
10: Okay. So those were the amendments, in addition to the earlier ones that I mentioned. And I know Supervisor Weiner had a couple as well.
0: Um, so before we get there, why don't we, uh, uh, so my understanding, Supervisor Mar, is that it's your intent to make the amendments into item number three, which was the planning department uh, recommendation or the planning department version, you would make the amendments as you've described yes. uh, and as are in the the, uh, the written document that you have, and then you will uh, uh, replace the planning department as sponsor with yourself as sponsor, and then uh, we will table item four? That's correct. Okay. So um w- why don't we just do that uh, now? So uh, Supervisor Marr has uh, described a series of amendments and they're uh, reduced to uh, to writing as well. Um, why don't we, uh, can I have a motion to uh, make those amendments to item number three? Second. Okay, and so without objection, we'll adopt those amendments to item three. And then, uh, Madam Clerk, if you could add Supervisor Marr as the author of item number three? Uh, and then could I have a motion to table item number four? So moved. Okay. And without objection, item four is tabled. Uh, now, uh, now we're working with the amended version of item number three. So I just I want to say just a few things and then uh, make the amendments that I briefly described at the beginning. Um, you know so that this amended version obviously i don't think anyone got exactly uh what they wanted and Supervisor or Mar uh you know engage in dialogue and and compromise on a number of things um not everything in here is exactly the way that i would have done it but i think we made a lot of uh, progress and in p- particular um, i was pleased to see the change to the economic impact study uh, requirement i was concerned that the original proposal in Supervisor Mars' legislation for the economic impact study was much broader and so for example some small formula retail uh, establishments could end up getting caught up uh, in having to do an economic impact study. For example uh, in, in District 8 uh, Phil's Coffee is on 18th Street in the Castro they're moving literally around the corner to Castro Street because they need they, they have a very tiny space and they want to uh, a less tiny space. Uh, they're going to have to go through the CU process because they have just over uh, the, the minimum to qualify as formula retail uh, and they understand they're going to go through that process. Um, uh, that, you know, The last thing that we need be doing for a business like that is requiring them on top of that to do an economic impact report and so reserving those reports for uh, the larger establishments I think makes a lot of sense and I appreciate uh, that amendment. I do want to, there's a little bit of a dynamic that we uh, hear when it comes to uh, debates about formula retail, and I do want to slightly disagree with, uh, there was a gentleman I think is no longer here who said that the opposition to formula retail comes from small businesses. Um, I actually think it's much broader than that, and when we went through the Starbucks and Chipotle debates in upper market, I can tell you there are just lots of regular people on, on passionate on both sides of those debates. it was The community was absolutely split in a lot of ways and there are people who just feel strongly for or strongly against and they're not small businesses. They have no economic interest in it. They're just people who live in their neighborhood and care about it, whatever conclusion uh, they draw. But there are times when we hear um, arguments that it's somehow a choice between you either put a chain uh, into the location or it's going to be vacant. And while that that may sometimes be the case, especially for larger spaces, for example, the space that CVS went into in Upper Market, where Tower Records have been, I think it would have been extraordinarily challenging to find um, a small local business to go into such a large uh, space, Uh, and I can think of other spaces as well. But I know know that every um, commercial property is unique and every commercial property owner is unique. And I can think of a number of circumstances I'm aware of where the property owner decided they did not want a local retailer in there, and they had good options, and they decided they preferred to have a national retailer. They're entitled to pursue that, but it's not as simple as you either have a chain store or you have a vacancy. Uh, Choices are made. And there are times, I'll I'll tell you, there was reference made to the encroachment into the C3 for some of the mid-market, uh, controls. And I don't know uh, everything that ultimately caused Supervisor Kim to introduce those interim controls. I know that there was one situation where the, there was an owner who was going to evict a non or to put a McDonald's in there. And when you have situations like that, extreme situations, it can lead to a reaction. And so I, I think this is a very, very complex. Uh, issue. And I think it's really important uh, and, and I, I think many, many uh, commercial property owners I think do a really good job in terms of they care about the community, they care about their neighborhood, they want to do right by the neighborhood. But then you see situations uh, where you, know, we, you have an owner who says I, don't, I just don't want a local retailer. And I've had owners in my district tell me that I do not want a local retailer, period, end of the story. End of the story I want a national retailer. And when I hear something like that, that's very challenging for me as someone who I take a case-by-case approach to formula retail uh, and it, 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 it makes, uh, it, it doesn't lead to a good uh, political dynamic or when you have the extreme situation like with Ananda Fora potentially uh, being out of there in favor of McDonald's, people just don't take kindly to that. And so it's important I think for everyone to um, work together to understand that we all just want what's right uh, for our neighborhoods whatever the result uh, ends up uh, being. And then finally, I just want to say, uh, and I, in case I wasn't clear enough at, at the beginning, because uh, I think Ms. Mogg made a reference to it, when I say the CU process is broken, it's not about the public participation. It's about that it takes so incredibly long. And there are situations where you know people in a neighborhood who are not even particularly pro-formula retail, get frustrated because why is that vacancy lasting longer when we know that there's a store that everyone supports and that, that everyone wants to go in there? Why are we now nine months later and there's still nothing in there and there's still uh, it's still a blighted uh, space? And so we have to fix that process. Um, so uh, with that said, um, I want to just make a few um, amendments uh, into uh, item three as amended by Supervisor Marr. So the first, uh, it will be a verbal amendment and I'll just read it. Um, uh, Financial service in the zoning tables for the Castro Neighborhood Commercial District Section 715, the Upper Market Neighborhood Commercial Transit District Section 733 and the 24th Street Noe Valley Neighborhood Commercial District Section 728 should be amended from permitted to conditional and uh, again those are just keeping what's been in place for a long time and that was uh, removed uh, through the Planning Commission process. Uh, the second amendment uh, has to do with the grandfathering for pending applications that I mentioned at the beginning um, uh, and that will be as follows, quote, Any location that has submitted a permit application to the city as of October 24, 2014, Uh, is grandfathered into the pre-existing formula retail uh, controls. Um, So those are the two amendments. um, And so uh, colleagues, uh, uh, Supervisor Marr. So
10: I'll I'll second those amendments.
0: Okay. And so without objection, we will make those two amendments to item three. And then uh, finally, colleagues, um, I'd like to duplicate the file uh, for item, duplicate item number three and then make two amendments to the duplicated version that we can then re-refer to the planning commission for further proceedings. And that would be, um, uh, so the file uh, will be duplicated and then uh, for the duplicated version uh, one would be uh, um, uh, incorporating the interim controls uh, that we previously passed for the Castro Street NCD around uh, and I'll read that. Um, Conditional use authorization by the planning commission is required under the planning code section 303 in circumstances where there has been a determination by department staff or a city board commission or agency that a proposed project is a formula retail use and the project sponsor subsequently removes one or more of the formula retail use features listed in the planning code. Um, And again, we had uh, implemented these interim controls when a particular project on Castro Street um, uh, uh, attempted to game the system to take itself out of formula retail um, definition. And so that would be one, and the second would be... Uh, I'll, I'll read this. Financial services, limited financial services, and personal services above the ground floor of a building are not considered formula retail. So again, that would be just limited categories would not apply to all retail. Um, and, and again, this is also, I think, the beginning of a discussion, and I've raised this before about the second floor, uh, issue. Um, so those would be the two amendments I would, I propose for the duplicated version of item number three. I'll second that. Okay. Without objection, we'll make those uh, amendments. And then if I could have a motion to send the duplicated version of item three to refer it to the Planning Commission, would that be the appropriate uh, motion?
40: Uh, Deputy City Attorney John Givner,
0: I think the appropriate
10: motion is to continue it to the call of the chair in committee and the clerk's office will forward it to the Planning
9: Commission for the Commission to schedule a hearing.
0: Okay. So for the duplicated. Version of item 3, uh, can of a motion to continue to the call of the chair? So moved. Okay, and we'll take that without objection. And then to the uh, um, original version of item 3 as amended by Supervisor Mar and then by me. Um, is there a motion, Supervisor Mar? Yeah, can I first say that some of the other follow-up are the task force on
10: subsidiaries, so we'll do our best to work with the planning department and our office to make sure um, a lot of the stakeholders that are here that asked about that are included. Um, I think also um, the process to look at the small business um, priority processing pilot program as a potential method of streamlining um, for the smaller chains, smaller um, SF Soup company and the um, fills and those kind of um, smaller chains would be um, looked at. And I know that that's another process that we're looking at. And then lastly, I know a number of people brought up the jobs and the quality um, and the, um, the conditions in um, jobs in retail. I think this really was an effort um, with small businesses, neighborhood leaders, and Jobs with Justice and other groups um, to look at more comprehensively issues of the working conditions and the whole economy of um, small and bigger businesses in the city. So I think another key follow-up is the, the discussion of the Retail Workers Bill of Rights that President Chu and I and a broad coalition of different groups are working on. So that'll be another follow-up step besides this piece of legislation. But I wanted to thanks so much Supervisor Wiener and Cohen um, and their staffs. Um, anne Marie Rogers and Kanishka Burns especially for all the hard work and the coalition of people that have come together to make this one from two that were pretty far apart. So thank you so much to everyone and I'm really proud to be working with so many great people on this piece of legislation.
0: Okay, uh, so Supervisor Mar, would you like to make a motion to forward uh, item three to the full board with positive recommendation? So moved as, as amended. As amended. Um, and we will take that without objection. Thank you. So Madam Clerk, will you please call item number five?
1: Item number five is the ordinance submitting the administrative code to provide new methods for calculating interest on residential rental security deposits.
0: Now we'll just wait for the room to clear. Is this what, I, is this what we're giving to people? Or
1: are you going to make some change?
0: Okay, See, I think there's a couple of the amendments. Amendment I four was very You want this or should okay. I recycle it? Yeah, I just recycle Sure. Okay, um, Robert Collins from the Rent Board is here on item number five.
45: Great, thank you. Good afternoon, Supervisors. And hopefully this item will be much, much shorter. So um, currently, Chapter 49 of the San Francisco Administrative Code requires residential landlords uh, to pay interest on security deposits. Uh, Under existing law, uh, Section 49, Subsection F, of the uh, Admin Code uh, provides a methodology uh, by which residential uh, the rent board calculates the amount of interest to be paid each year uh, to residential tenants on security deposits. Section 49.2 subsection F requires that for years 2004 and uh, later that interest on uh, residential security deposits be calculated based on the six-month Uh, certificate of deposit rate, six month CD rates. Uh, However, uh, this past December the Federal Reserve ceased publishing that rate uh, because they had an insufficient number of institutions that were providing six month uh, CD uh, products and uh, therefore (laughs) the amendment uh, substitutes in a very similar rate which is the 90-day AA financial commercial paper. Uh, this this was the rate that most closely matched the six-month CD rate and uh, therefore uh, this section is being uh, hopefully amended to require the use of the, that 90-day AA financial commercial paper for 2015 and future years. So it should be short. Glad to provide any further information or um, if you have any questions.
0: Great, thank you very much. Colleagues, any questions or comments? Okay, seeing none, we'll open item number five up for public comment. Is there any public comment on item five? Seeing none, public comment is closed. Uh, Colleagues, could I have a motion to forward item five to the full Board of Supervisors with positive recommendation? So say, and without objection, that will be the order. Madam Clerk, please call item number six.
1: Item number six, the ordinance, amending the planning code and zoning map to modify controls for uses, necessary uses in commercial and residential commercial districts.
0: Uh, Thank you. And this item was before us uh, uh, last week. And uh, we uh, uh, made an amendment of the whole and then continued the item one week. Uh, President Chu is the author of item 6 and uh, his legislative aide Judson True is here. Mr. True.
46: Thank you, uh, Chair Wiener, Judson True from Supervisor David Chu's office Uh, and hello also to Supervisors Cohen and Mar. I don't want to go into a lot of detail on this unless you have specific questions but especially for Supervisor Mar's benefit I did want to say that this uh, ordinance has been part of a larger effort that we worked on with livable city over the last several years to pass a number of ordinance to, ordinances to bring our planning code more in line uh, with the goals that we all care about from building affordable housing and making our uh, streets and sidewalks more uh, walkable and safer for bicyclists. Uh, it also does things to bring our planning code uh, into a little bit of a simpler form as well. Um, Aaron Starr is here from the planning department to answer specific questions but I did want to briefly say a few things that the ordinance does. It facilitates the conversion of historic buildings and non-conforming uses in existing buildings into housing which we know is particularly important right now given the affordability crisis and the need for more housing. It updates the requirements for accessory uses in both commercial and residential commercial districts. Uh, and it also rationalizes changes of use in neighborhood commercial districts. And it makes parking requirements consistent in transit-rich districts of the city, like RC4s in the Van Ness Corridor, where we expect to see the Van Ness BRT uh, start construction soon. And it improves the organization of the planning code and re- removes outdated sections. Again, if there are any specific questions, either I can a- try to answer them or Aaron Starr is here from planning. Otherwise, I look forward to um,
0: to seeing this move on. Great. Thank you, Mr. True. Colleagues, any questions or comments? Okay, we will open item six up for public comment. Is there any public comment on item number six? Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Starr, is there a presentation? My apologies. Uh, That's
11: right, I'm not sure um, if we had conveyed what the commission did, so I'm just going to do that this time. Um, Aaron Star Planning Department staff, um, as you know, the item before you was uh, part of a larger ordinance that was heard by the commission on several different hearings. I think it was a total of seven. Um, Because of its large size, the commission ultimately divided the ordinance up into uh, three phases. The first phase was heard on March 1st, 2012. The second phase, May 3rd, 2012, and the third phase on May 17th, 2012. With each phase, the commission voted to recommend approval with modifications Um, planning department is very excited that these proposed amendments are finally moving forward Um, and uh, we sincerely thank supervisor chu and his aide judson uh, for working with us on this ordinance incorporating the planning commission's proposed recommendations thank you very much thank you mr Starr.
0: okay we will open item number six up for public comment uh is there any is there any public comment on item six seeing none public comment is closed uh, colleagues, could I have a motion to forward item six to the full board of supervisors with positive recommendation?
16: Second.
0: Okay, and without objection, that will be the order. Madam Clerk, is there any additional business before the committee?
1: There's no further business. Then
0: we are adjourned. Thank you.